Andrew. Andrew chose this list. Um, we were thinking of going with like. No, I did. What? That, Wikipedia chose the list. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's not what I meant. It's not like you uh, you uh, cultivated the list. I meant like no. <laughs> we were talking about going with like the worst movies ever made. You know. And I asked, is it opinion based? What? Yeah, so this is a better, this is, makes it more interesting. Everybody talks about god-awful movies. This is something like, it can be viewed as awful, but at the same time, it might be something that just kind of missed its audience. Because some of these movies have found an audience later, and I'm kind of, I'm glad to talk about these. Yeah, these are movies that tanked in the box office, regardless if they're good or not. So yeah, if you look up the list on uh, Wikipedia, it's under a list of box office bombs. Um, other than that, you know, you can just listen to us chit-chat about them. So we're going to start from the top. We're going to do two episodes. So the second will come off immediately after this. We're going to start at number 50. Hard Rain. I liked it. I actually, I'm a big fan of Hard Rain. Uh, it's a silly title, though. I can't remember. I think it was originally going to be called The Flood, which makes well, sense. Well, which, that would have made sense. But Hard Rain works, too, because it's a hard rain that gets a flood. Yeah. But the way, uh, they, the way they would say it in trailers and stuff like that always seemed like... Hard Rain. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the weird thing. Um, I actually have a connection to this movie. Um, I went to school at Vincennes, Indiana, and there was going to be a week where they were going to shoot, um, like, I guess like a week of outer, like, uh, what do you call it, second unit footage, and yeah. they needed some uh, assistance, so they contacted our theater group, uh, my degree is in uh, theater technology, and they were going to uh. get like our group to come out and be basically like PAs for that week, and uh, I guess... Something fell apart. They changed their mind. They they weren't going to do any uh, like location shooting. They just stayed on the set, and that was such a bummer because I so wanted to work on that. <laughs> I too, I too have a connection to this movie. Uh, Christian Slater, as you know, is in it. And um, in the nineties, the early to mid nineties, my hair was very Christian Slater. <laughs> Are we talking Gleaming the Cube, Christian Slater, or no, True no, Romance? No, no. I'm, um, uh, what is it? What is it? What is it? What was that movie? Untamed Heart. Oh wow! You had some seriously long hair then. Uh, not as long, but yes, very, very Christian Slatery. <laughs> is that the connection? I thought maybe you actually yeah, knew that's him. it. That was, okay. that was a dumb joke. <laughs> um, the, the the thing about the movie that I love is okay, that scene where he's riding around on the water ski. Uh, what do you call it? Jet ski through the school. Mm -hmm. In, no. my, in my mind, writing that around the school was like a fulfillment of like, oh my, like if I was 12, my brain would have exploded at that concept. Right. So then you must have liked uh, Masterminds or whatever that was. You know what's funny is I've never seen it. No? No. Um, okay. I know somebody who's a huge fan of it. It's just, it's not that easy to find. And for some reason, when it came out, I never picked it up. Yeah. I mean, they, I worked at Blockbuster at the time. You'll oh. hear that from time to time when I am on this podcast. I worked at Blockbuster from time to time. And uh, the only time I really remember seeing it, other than one preview for it on television, was when we got it in. And we never rented it out. No? Huh. If, if at all, I, it wasn't while I was on duty. You would think that Patrick Stewart would have some sort of following with that. Um, okay, so I'll give you the plot of Hard Rain. Uh, it's pretty self-explanatory when I said it was called Betty the Flood. White Rob's Bank. What's that? Betty White robs a bank. Yeah, the yeah, funny thing is, I'm really her role is really, really funny. <laughs> Minnie Driver's a little wasted, and Randy Quaid chews the scenery just a little bit too much. But um, I think the cast is pretty solid. Basically, it's uh, Morgan Freeman and his team decide to rob 
Uh, Christian Slater, and I forget his name. He was on Mary Tyler Moore Show. Ed. Ed, I don't remember. Bye. Ed O'Neill. Uh, <laughs> basically, the flood stops them when they're driving like a, a cash truck, and Morgan Freeman and his men try to rob it. Things go wrong. So it's basically chasing each other through uh, this flood, trying to get the money. It's a high school. It's, a, it's an entire town flooded. Yeah, and it's a pretty good set. I mean, you can tell it's a set, but it's a pretty good one. There's no like yeah. obvious signs. If Sci-Fi Channel chose to do something, you know, flood-related, they could cannibalize this plot and throw in, you know, some eels or something. Yeah, I was going to say, it would have to have some sort of giant monster. Yeah. Well, maybe not giant. could have been, like, Snakehead Terror or something. That's a movie. That's true. Um, Could be little, tiny, weird, eat-em-up fishes. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I would say Hard Rain is uh, usually something that plays on Netflix. It's easy to find, uh, and I would I would watch it. It's it's not like a genius movie, but for what it is, no, it's it's disposable pulp. That's really what it is. It's a pulp crime thriller with yeah, and, action moments. And the movie moves. I mean, it stays. Yeah. It's I'll say it's, it's not, welcome. It's but... not dull. It's not boring. Betty White gets her comeuppance, and that's true. She's a mouth in that, and then yeah. her husband turns on her for a second which is nice yeah a lot of those that was the revival of the disaster movie and i think a lot of those were way too ponderous it made you wait forever for anything to happen you remember waiting for dante's peak you're like oh please wrap this up just get going that was kind of like the plague of disaster movies back then but hard rain decided to go with the action yeah oh oh, wait we're flooded out that's it the beginning of it and it's from the writer of broken arrow and speed so you know he kind of knew that kind of genre better than probably a disaster genre. Right. Um, number 49 is Lolita. I've never seen this movie. Which version? It's the 1997 version with uh, Jeremy Irons. I remember being like a Blockbuster exclusive. I also worked Blockbuster for about six months. Right. And I remember um, it got dumped like by Trimark or something like that onto video. I didn't see it. Um, I don't know why I didn't see it because I'm an adventurous sort. So I watch... I have watched risque stuff. Uh, apart from apart from Blockbuster, I also um, cut my teeth on cinema with Cinemax, not Skinemax, Cinemax <laughs> Vanguard Cinema on Wednesdays during the early 90s. So I saw a bunch of French movies and art house films. I didn't know Cinemax so, ever did that. Yeah, they did. Um, yeah, Vanguard so I, I'm assuming it's the same Lolita... That Stanley Kubrick adapted? It's the same plot. Okay. Yeah, same plot. Well, I guess I don't really have much story. to say about this one, except that it was a huge, massive bomb. I can't believe it cost $62 million. Maybe this is why Trimark well, went well, out of business. Well, the whole story, anyway, the story itself is controversial. Humbert Humbert is into a young girl, and she's not just so innocent little young girl, so she's tempting. So that's the whole deal. Well, okay. I, I, didn't, even, I didn't know tempting. this. Yeah, that's why it's Lolita. That's why Lolita is like Long Island Lolita. You throw oh. whatever the name of the town is in front of the the lady who causes the trouble in whatever news story, uh, Lolita. So, and it's because she's tempting and she knows it. Well, I feel so. kind of dumb for not knowing that. <laughs> I guess you learn something every day. Uh, um, number forty-eight right. is Sphere. Yeah, not that good. Kurt Wimmer. It it looked. Hollow. The whole movie looked hollow. For we're talk, me, we're talking I don't know the, why the, the audience didn't like it. We're talking the yeah, Dustin they Hoffman go underwater. One? Okay, yeah. I didn't yeah. know Kurt Wimmer Kurt, wrote Kurt, that. Kurt, yeah, he wrote it. 
Um, it's a hollow-looking film. Uh, I, I like my undersea adventures and sci-fi stuff to be... You, you mentioned in our last podcast, have you ever seen Leviathan? <laughs> Leviathan has really good visuals. It does. I, I it didn't realize a, I had that very, accent. Very good and lived-in environment. And, yeah. <clears throat> well, the thing is... I, uh, I, think I jokingly the... oh. did your voice. It's not how you sound. Um, here's the weird thing about Sphere is that it always surprised me when I saw... You think what? That was directed by Barry Levinson, who at the time I don't think had ever done anything like this at all. He always done like you know kind of human pieces, and to attempt sci-fi was odd. And I don't really think he got a handle on it. Still there? Did he do oh. toys? Uh, he did do toys. I forgot yeah, about that. I'm here. That one. There's a there's a lag. Oh, sorry. Um, all right. Toys is another thing that 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 um had problems visually with me. It looked like it should have been like more Tim Burton-y, and then it just kind of fell short from that. So I think Barry Levinson, when he tries to do stuff that's out of his wheelhouse, doesn't have a visual grasp on things. I will say this. He did the movie The Bay a couple years ago. It's one of those found footage movies. Oh, yeah, that's great. That was pretty entertaining. That one didn't require like a lot of visuals, so he focused more on the human element. So that one, of the three genre movies he's made, if you want to count toys as a genre movie, <clears throat> The Bay is probably the best one. Yeah, it is. And um, let's see. But Sphere, yeah. nah, I can I can understand why Sphere isn't that great. Yeah, I was actually bored. I, I got it free when I bought a DVD player. Do you remember when DVD players first came out and they're trying to push them so they would give you like five free DVDs? Sphere was one of those and I was bored out of my gourd. Mm, yeah, I didn't. That was also when Contact came out, I think. Same year. Yeah, maybe they were trying to more do more high-minded uh, sci-fi movies, but when you're yeah. like 18, I just I just didn't have the patience for it. In fact, uh, I don't even think I even cared for Contact. I probably would like it now, but I just didn't have the patience back then. And then uh, What's next? Um, number 47 is Instinct. That's the one with um, Cuba Gooding Jr., Anthony Hopkins. I remember seeing that, but Anthony there's, Hopkins. There's nothing sticking whatsoever yeah. mentally about about what it's about. I I think you can YouTube it. Is that the one where he's found in the jungle or something like that? He goes crazy and kills somebody, and then Cuba Gooding Jr. defends him. He's yeah, he's got some ape ape abilities, so he's working. Like I didn't see the film. I can watch it on YouTube, like I said. But uh, I remember the trailer. I remember them pushing the ape angle, like Anthony Hopkins, wild man, ape hanging with the apes. So he's basically so. just like a octogenarian Tarzan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That does not sound that interesting. I can see why that bombed. <laughs> bomb, 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 bomb. Uh, number 46, Osmosis Jones. I liked it at the time. I really did. That's the Fairley Brothers, right? Am I... Yeah, they, well, no. That's the Fairley Brothers doing the, the beginning and the end. The live action inserts. Okay. And I uh, forget who else did the animation, but they might have done script work, too. Yeah, that one, I actually remember, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I remember being pretty entertaining, but I can't believe... Bill Murray gets the flu. That's what the movie is. Yeah, and basically... Wait, the, Bill the, Murray gets the flu and takes medicine. That's it. Yeah, and the animated version is the medicine going into his body, battling the germs. I think David Hyde Pierce and maybe Orlando Jones do the do the uh, voice work. I can't remember now. It's been, it's been one of those movies that's Chris, forgotten, probably for a reason. I, I'm pretty sure it's Chris Rock doing the voice of okay. the, the pill. Uh, but yeah, there's a robot sidekick pill. Yeah, I forget it all. But it was fun animation, and it was really highly stylized uh, character designs and stuff like this for 
uh, an animated piece, a 2D animated piece. They done everything was Disney-fied. Everything was trying to do Disney. Christian videos were trying to do Disney style. Um, but <clears throat> Osmosis Jones did a, a different style of uh, character design, which was good. Well, I remember that was from Warner Brothers, and then they had like three or four animated movies before they shuttered their division. And yeah, they all Iron ha- Giant's one of them. They all have their kind of own style, like Iron Giant. Uh, I remember Cats Don't Dance being one of them, and I'm being really entertained by that, even though it was a massive flop. Uh, I, that was Bluth, wasn't it? You know what? Honestly, I don't remember anymore. It looked like it was Bluth style, but maybe not Bluth, because he, least, he, he was a Fox. It seems like it came out of his influence anyway. Yeah, but Warner Brothers, yeah, sadly, Iron Giant is probably their best. But even that, that yeah. was a big flop. It's, it's been discovered now, but back then, no one watched it, and it was kind of a bummer. Yeah, I saw it in the theater, and I saw it on video. I bought it. I don't have the Blu-ray yet, but I bought every incarnation nice. when it came out. Um, I really stand by that movie. Even though I'm not a fan of Superman as a character, um, and they use that as a motif. You know what's funny? I like is- it. Is I, really I, like I don't it. like Superman either. I've always found something... I can never connect to his character. I can connect to Clark Kent, but I cannot connect to Superman at all. I have no idea why. Maybe it's because he really doesn't have a whole lot of weaknesses. He doesn't seem very human. Like, he's a... a I mean, he is alien. That's obvious. But it's more... Yeah. He just... He doesn't seem like one of us. So I have nothing to connect to. Right. Um, yep. Number 45 surprises me. Because this movie, I remember getting, like, all the award nominations... And I thought it was a huge hit, but Ali, Ali is on this list of one of the most unsuccessful movies, and I'm stunned. We, wow, yeah, me too. I wouldn't have guessed that either. It's um, just because it costs so much money, $107 million, only brought in 63. 63 is nothing to sneeze at, but I guess for a... Mike, gr- it's Michael Mann, and it's Will Smith, and who else? Who's that, who else is in that cast? Jamie Foxx, if I remember correctly, is his agent or manager. Uh, I don't. Oh, right, I, I don't right, remember right, right. anybody else. Why did you have a name yeah. in your mind? No, no, no. I was just thinking about where all the money would have gone. You know, it could have been all the the production value. Michael Mann. This is, I think, before he switched to digital, that so that it make like effects easier to do. I think he probably went for authenticity and searched everywhere for like the the right props, the right buildings, and that kind of stuff can take up time. Where he had to have stuff made. So, and he's very like particular with the way he films things so that probably just ate up costs yeah and, and of course have, will smith was not cheap it. i really haven't seen it yeah so i'm thinking that's where most of the budget went to i mean michael mann is a premium director name so money goes there but more money goes to the star who's in front of the camera so yeah and will smith that's when he put on a lot of muscle i mean he probably put on like 30 or 40 pounds to try to even get close to ali's size the nice part is that he played him when he was younger so that he could still kind of pull that off if he was going to play him like in the 80s when he was bigger, yeah he was bigger it wouldn't have happened yeah, yeah 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 um younger plays older better than older playing younger yeah um number 44 red planets I actually like. I like Red Planet a lot, a ton, a whole bunch, and I was looking for it on YouTube again, and all they have is clips. Because um, I had the DVD, got rid of it because I didn't watch it that much. But uh, sometimes I get the itch, get the itch to watch it. Well, I think there's a, a sci-fi four-pack from Warner Brothers that has that on there, but I think hmm. it also comes with, oddly enough, I think it comes with Sphere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, that, this is that, that movie is another one that has high mind philosophy in it. Yeah, and I love the look of it. It has like a yeah. retro look. It looks like it's something like out of the 50s, 
but in a way that can still be believable, you know, in our in our times, you know, something that would like logistically make sense. It, it looks like the the guys who design Apple products might have designed a lot of this stuff. You know, if that, you think about it. this the streamlined, is, really clean looking retro futurism. Yeah, this is that part of uh, the three movies about Mars, and each one kind of made a little bit less than each one. I think the first one was Mission to Mars with Tim Robbins, directed by Brian De Palma. Don Cheadle. That one did okay. I mean, it didn't make its money back, but it didn't like totally lose everything on it. But then this came out, and this is right when everybody was rejecting Val Kilmer unfairly. Yeah, why? So. Why? Isn't it weird? If you look back on his catalog... This is when awesome. <clears throat> this is when Val Kilmer really started making great movies. He made um, Wonderland, The Salt and Sea. Uh, I the, love Salt and Sea. Oh, he did so one, the the Spartan Spartan movie um, by David Mamet, which I absolutely love. It was like three or four movies right in a row. And Red Planet, I consider part of that 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 revival of really good concept and good character pieces, but nobody went and saw it. Nobody cared. Right. I don't understand. What, what uh, okay. Well, I'll tell you right now. There's a, a, a there, back back then there was a, like a lapse and like nobody was paying attention to science stuff. The internet hadn't picked up the way it has now. If that movie came out now, and if it had maybe a different director, slightly different visuals or whatever, but mostly the same, it might pick on pick up with with the internet buzzing about it. It might not. It might just come out on Magnet, which is great. I like yeah. Magnet movies, but. Um, you can't say that the Magnet movies are, are like, they're niche. It's a niche company. Right. So only dorks like us like that stuff. <laughs> the mass market doesn't really care unless it's like Interstellar, which I don't really want to see Interstellar. No, it kind of looks boring, and that makes a lot of probably like film buffs go, what? How can you not? Really? It doesn't I look, do it, not it, respect you two. It's in the same category I'm as Contact. I'm podcast off. <laughs> um. The thing about Red Planet is I am surprised it did cost as much as it did because the director, it, I think that's the only thing that he's ever directed. And the writer is Chuck Pafar, who is known for like things, uh, Dark Man, Navy Seals, Hard Target. So it's not like he was in high, you know, high cost field. And Val Kilmer had already bombed a couple of times. I will have no understanding why this cost so much money unless it was just a disastrous film shoot. It might have been that. I mean, you had Tom Sizemore on the cast and he's not too... Uh, easy to get along with. And Val Kilmer, though I really enjoy Val Kilmer, he's one tough dude to get along with on set, so I've heard. Yeah, from what I've read about Island of Dr. Moreau, which I would not be surprised if it showed up later in this list, um, <laughs> is that not only was he difficult, but he was kind of controlling. And, you know, that's a funny Sabot thing. Sabotaging, really. He sabotaged a lot. Yeah, I, the funny thing with actors is we... The industry likes to badmouth anybody who has a very strong vision. And if they have the power to try to make the movie the way they want to, if they're the lead and everything's riding on them, then so be it. Kind of, yeah. But uh, maybe like in Bullworth, was it? The oh. actor isn't um, in his right mind to pull the strings like that. True. To try to pull the strings and they don't have the vision. And that's what Bullworth is, is lampooning. Um, but... Uh, I'm not sure Val Kilmer is actually that hacky. No, 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 no. If if it were someone who had a, like a huge ego but nothing to back it up talent wise, then yeah, that'd be a moment where you're like, oh, dude, you don't, you're just you're pulling your strings right here. You you need to back off and let someone else take the reins. 
Like, I really like Val Kilmer. I don't like the doors. I don't want to. I've seen it once. He did a great job. I don't care. But um, Top Secret, love, oh, yeah. love, 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 love Top Secret. He did all of his singing. He was so earnest in his role. He would go to the director and say, "What's my motivation?" He's like, "It's a joke." Yeah, but what's my motivation? <laughs> that's why. That, <laughs> that's why he's his character. He sells the character so well in that movie to me. I miss the uh, fact that he started doing really serious movies because I think his best talent is comedy. Yeah, um, irreverent. He's like really good. Even Willow, he was Han Solo in Willow, basically. But he, to me, was a more fun Han Solo than Harrison Ford could be. Right, who's perpetually grumpy now. I've like, where? Yeah. What happened to the joy that you used to have? Um, you know, it's um, funny about David Blaine, David Blaine did a magic trick in his. Uh, that's where it went. David Blaine freaked him out, turned him into a grump. <laughs> Did you know that in Willow that it was originally going to be John Cusack? They were in nego- <laughs> they were in negotiations with him, and then they switched gears all of to a sudden. Matt Hardigan? Yeah, that's silly. No way, man. Yeah, he would have been. He would have just come off of better off, <laughs> better off dead in One Crazy Summer. That's silly. Yeah, I think it's because they saw him in Journey of Natty Gan. I remember he was in Stand by Me, but he's only like in a little bit of it. I don't know if that's Our why. What's that? I remember that. I remember Journey of Natty Gan. Yeah, that's kind of a Disney movie that's been kind of cast aside. You never see that on the show. No, it's, it's, a good, it's a good Disney movie of the week. That was good. All right, so number 43, Chill Factor. <sighs> oh, I don't know how to feel about this movie. <laughs> how, how is that even like, how it, did that have prestige to it so that it could palm? It, I know Cuba Gooding Jr. and Skeet Ulrich are in it, but... Cuba, but, Cuba had just come off his Oscar, like like the year before. He had just come off his Oscar, and I think this okay, is the first so project. And I remember a lot of the money did not go into the actual film. This is from a company called Franchise Pictures, and they were notorious for having these movies that were very, very expensive, that were huge flops. And every time you watched them and you go, this was $90 million? Like Battlefield Earth. They did a okay, lot. Well, what I heard about that... Franchise, correct me if I'm wrong, franchise would take troubled films and then pump them full of more money and finish them and release them. Actually, it was more, that might have been true on a couple projects. There were usually projects that would sit around forever. They were pet projects of whatever actor or director wanted to do them. And what they would (laughs) do is embezzle. So they would go to a studio saying, we have this $70 million film with this person, this person, this is a script, whatever. And uh, like, say, Warner Brothers was their biggest distributor. Warner Brothers go, okay, so you have $70 million uh, budgeted. We will give you 40 for the American release or North American release. Then you have to make up the rest of the cost by going overseas and, you know, yeah. raise the additional. Shopping. Yeah, right. original, uh, the, uh, the leftover $30 million. But the thing is, is that they never planned on making it for $30 million. They fudged the paperwork, and then they would make it for whatever Warner Brothers gave them. So if they gave them $40 million, that was the budget chill factor. So it says $70 million, but I guarantee it probably cost 35 or $40 million. Well, it looks even less than that. I mean. Yeah. And I would say it's probably only because of some of the action sequences were a little difficult, and you know, uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. probably got about $10 million for that movie. Right, and Skeet Skeet had to have gotten something nice. Yeah, that was right after Scream. So yeah, I can imagine he at yeah. least got a million or two. That's a that's a guy that I really like. I really like Skeet Ulrich, especially on Jericho. But he's even after Jericho's caught falling, he's still been cast aside as a as a fifteen minutes of fame kind of guy. 
He's just a working actor now. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that he was... Hey, there's terrible. nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with working actors. Working actors are the backbone of our in- industry as far as act acting goes. But um, that's basically what he is. He's not the star that they wanted him to be. Yeah, and the same thing with Cuba Gooding Jr. I mean, after the Oscar, I think the only movie that he did that people were like really digging into was that Men of Honor but for the most part, he seemed to do comedies. He did Rat Race, Snow Dogs, that horrible boat trip. And, <clears throat> and uh, you know, like, Chill Factor is kind of a comedy. It's I would say it's more comedic than it is an action movie because at no point did I yeah, ever hey, take it seriously. It's a buddy comedy, really. That's yeah. what it is. It's a buddy action movie. And I'm still confused uh, as to why David Paymer was even in the first five minutes. It must have been a nice paycheck to show up because it seemed like such a waste for such a good actor. Mm. Do you know who yep. did- I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Uh, yeah, I know. Okay, I, I know who he is. Um, uh, what is it? Night of the Creeps? Oh, yes, right. I forgot <laughs> he's in the beginning of that. I that's think... not the only thing I know him from, but yeah, Night of the Creeps. He's a technician, <laughs> scientist. Yeah, honestly, there's nothing really else to say about Chill Factor, in my opinion. It's just it is what it is. Nope. It's just one of those diehard, or uh, it's kind of like a ripoff of Speed. You have to keep the thing yeah, cold yeah. no matter what, and if it does, ice stay cream cold, truck, right. ice cream truck. Or a freezer truck. That's where the chill comes from. And, and the dialogue is truly horrible. It's a buddy comedy, but it's like one of the worst buddy comedies when it comes to like chemistry. I almost feel like they're literally right. looking for whoever two actors were available. Yeah, right. Who can we right, get just to get this thing going? We need a black guy and a white guy. What we is that? What, a, what is that rule? What is that thing that requires it be two different races or two different sexes? Why can't it just be... Like the way, you know, like, not that I'm saying that it needs to be whitewashed, but why can't well, it be two black guys or the, two white uh, guys? What's that movie with uh, uh, Will Ferrell and Marky Mark? Oh, yeah. The, the other guys. The other guys, yeah. The other guys. That that was done just everybody, like, the two white guys are the goobers, but they're, it's a buddy cop movie. and I mean, that's how you do it. You have to make fun of that now. That's That's the only way. Yeah. It's it's a, you. It's not about the color or the age or sex. It's about the chemistry. It, it's well, just, it was, really initially was about the color or like the you, sex because of juxtaposition, right? Like forty eight hours, of two different walks of life, not being able to uh, get along in a regular circumstance, but you have to. And it goes all the way back to the Tony Curtis movie with uh, Sidney Poitier, uh, uh. Uh, where they're chained together and they're on a chain, chain oh. gang and they escape, uh, which was remade as Fled. The Defiant Ones. Steven Stupidhead Baldwin and Larry Fishburne. Oh, The Fled. what ones? Uh, the Defiant Ones. But yeah, that's that's it. That's It goes all the way back there. I didn't realize Sidney Poitier was in that movie. I totally forgot that. Huh. Um. So I guess we should probably move on. There was that awkward silence there. <laughs> um, yeah. Number Sorry. four. And that's okay. Uh, 42, Dudley Do-Right. I actually like this movie a lot, and I have no idea why it cost $70 million. It looks good visually, but holy moly. That was even shot in Canada, and it cost $70 million. Huh. I didn't see it because, um, at that time, um, mining, and it's probably still, I'm not that interested in mining old cartoons and turning them into movies. Um, like... What was that? Uh, Inspector Gadget, they did the same thing to. Deadly Do-Right. Um, George of the Jungle. No thanks. No thanks. No thanks. Yeah, most of them nope. truly are horrible. But I think there's something about the spirit of the 
Uh, I wish I could remember his name, but he created George of the Jungle. He did Rocky and Bullwinkle, Dudley Do Right. He had a very subversive tone to his cartoons. And uh, Dudley Do Right is probably the best. The one that captures it just right. And I think, I think because Brandon Fraser had just come off of uh, the success of George of the Jungle, they just went ahead and greenlit, greenlit this and didn't really put any plans into promoting it because I don't, I don't hardly remember a single commercial. And this was after The Mummy. So you think that the Universal would have put a lot of money into promoting it, but they didn't. But well, it, they don't know what to do with a lot of kids' stuff. and I, I don't know. I think now when you make kids' movies, I think they figured out the demographics and, and the psychology behind the masses that they'll actually get things that kids want to watch now. Yeah, this is nostalgia. It's a nostalgia-based thing, but it's also a kids' thing, and kids aren't nostalgic for things that they don't know about. No, it's mostly about the parents, and if you can't sell it to parents, then they're not going to go see it. Right. And so that's, that shows I think, where the problem is. Here's the weird thing: with the exception of the first George of the Jungle, all of the cartoons from that that creator have been huge, massive flops. Rocky and Bullwinkle, Boris and Natasha, Sherman and Peabody just came out, and it lost a ton of money. This might be something that. It's a very niche audience, and they shouldn't be spending huge chunks of cash yeah, on Yeah, I, I think the Sherman and Peabody thing failed a lot because the, the, the character designs differed so greatly. You don't have to differ that much if you do CG. You don't really have to differ that much, and it differs so much. My wife loves these, and she uh, saw just the picture of the CG versions, and she was like, no. No. That, that's it. No. It no. was. She loves these old cartoons. So. Yeah, I felt that way with the Rocky and Bullwinkle. When I was looking at it, it was like, it's just ugly to look at. They're trying to do some sort of pre. You know how they. When that whole fad of like cell shaded CGI, you know, that kind of animation yeah. style. Yeah. This yeah. was like the very early version of it where it tried to look like it was hand drawn, but at the same time, it was almost cgi and it just looked bizarre and i it, plus the fact it just wasn't a funny movie and that's what if you're gonna make a comedy like this especially based on the guy's name is jay ward uh yeah. based on cartoons that are very subversive and tongue-in-cheek you better get the comedy right for grown-ups because that's the audience that gets it mm-hmm. yeah so i don't think they're ever going right. to get it right so maybe they should just go maybe they just go do a low-budget animated series if they're going to continue it which i heard that's dreamworks exactly that's absolutely right. DreamWorks Just spent a, a lot of money. Series. Yeah. Uh, they bought the whole catalog, DreamWorks, and they don't know what to do with them now that P, uh, Simon and Peabody uh, hit them pretty hard. I think they're just oh, going to have remember, to... Do you remember um, Time Squad? I think it was. It's a cartoon. Was it fairly recent? Like in the last 10 Ew, years? Uh, not, last 10 years, yeah. It's like, it's like 2005, 2000 something. It was very... like I think Tim Biscuit worked on the backgrounds for it. Um, it, it seems familiar. It was. It's very flat. So it's very like, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Dexter's Lab era look to it, uh, which uh, harkens back to the the uh, very limited animation style of like Flintstones. But right. it's really what it's the kind of approach that that they did then is where they should take their property now with. Um, with the the Rocky and Bullwinkle stuff, just make another series, but do it like they did Time Squad. Yeah, I really like you. So you're saying it's more like the classic UPA style that the that company that they pioneered, where they it's more like minimalist animation, where yeah, well, they, they took out a lot of well, the excess in the background. 
Hanna-Barbera, when they started crossing over to TV from, you know, like their film stuff, like Tom and Jerry was like really perfect animation most of the time. Um, beautiful stuff. But uh, when they crossed over to TV, they didn't have budgets for that because they had to, it was like a mill. They had to keep churning out these cartoons. So Hanna-Barbera came up with the limited style, very limited. And if they have had a lot of action, they recycled stuff like this. Okay. Because do you, you know who what, what company yeah, I'm talking you, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were they were same era. It's the same era. Yeah, so. they weren't as low budget as Hanna Barbera, but uh, they I can't think they chose style, but minimalist style is they're very unusual cartoons. I think that style has kind of been forgotten. <clears throat> Excuse me, um, and I, I really appreciate that look. And Chuck Jones started adapting that in the '60s too, and it looks it looks really beautiful. But a lot of people don't get it, like it confuses them. Why why does it look like this? Right. All right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, uh, forty-one. The astronaut's wife. Uh, I remember watching this with Johnny Depp. I think if you remember correctly, he's an astronaut who somehow gets an alien implanted in his brain or something like that, or takes over his body. Something I didn't watch, but I, I had friends who watched it and they hated it. Yeah, they it's were X-Files really bad. Type folks. They were X Filesy. They loved X Files, and so when they saw this and they came out of it. And they saw me the next time they saw me, and they were, what did you see this weekend? Uh, they were mad. Yeah, it has one of those endings that they just truly just, oh, you're so irritated. Hmm. But everybody still loves Johnny Depp. So, there's that. If you want to go find the movie, it has Charlize Theron, Johnny Depp. That's all I can say. Number 40, Conan the Barbarian, the remake. Oh, the remake? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that did bomb. Oh, yeah, it was way too expensive. You know what's funny is, you know how we're talking about the franchise, the way they manipulate budgets? I get the right. feeling that Conan the Barbarian, made by Millennium Pictures, they do the same thing. They keep saying mm. these movies cost so much money, and I look at it and I go, I don't see that. But I love, I like that movie. I don't love it. Okay, I like it a lot. I like just about everything about it. I like Marcus Nispel. I like him as a director. I like his visuals. He makes He makes comic books. That's what he does. He did Pathfinder. That's why he did this. Pathfinder was based on a um, 1986 or 85, I think 86, uh, Scandinavian film. Uh, same plot as Pathfinder. Kid gets left behind by his, his uh, Viking tribe. He gets raised by indigenous folk of the area. And then uh, it's kind of like a white guilt movie in a way. Yeah, I remember that being a really big flop too. It cost yeah. a lot of money and then... The studio had no idea what to do with it. And they kept delaying it and delaying it and delaying none, it. None of Marcus Nispel's movies have, have been ginormous, the most biggest awesome hits. But he has an incredible visual sense. He was a music video director. He did um, Faith No More's Small Victory. Oh, seriously? That's my favorite video. I had no idea he directed that. Wait, what? Are you serious? Yeah, Small Victory is my favorite. The way he ends it, you know... Uh, just like that kind of whisper, like, you know, at one constant rhythm, at one constant pace, you know, and, and you still won't hear. It's like one of those, like, really, really, like, deep, poetic songs that really just digs in my brain and won't let go. At the time, I thought that was, like, the most expensive video, and they hardly ever aired it, and I was so depressed. I, I love that video, too. It's, like, just such a great... Yeah, so I, I looked... I was like, really? When I learned about the Friday the 13th thing. Uh, or he also did... Okay, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of them. Yeah, I actually I really, I, I do not like the Texas Chainsaw franchise that much, but mm -hmm. his, not only is it about style, but man, he really got some great performances out of his cast, and I was That's surprised. That's the Jessica Biel one. You're right. 
he got a great shot of her jeans. <laughs> um, that movie, I'm like, Marcus Nispel, I want to know who that guy is. So I looked him up, and then I learned about Fit No More Connection, and I'm like, whoa, because that was a very impactful video to me. It's very impressionistic, classic imagery, but impressionistically done World War One footage or, or reenactment stuff and other crazy art stuff. Yeah, if you get the chance, look that. that up on YouTube because that's so, one of those videos that like passed us by and it shouldn't have. Right. All of his works have this really great visual stamp of quality. A lot Super of texture. Quality. Yeah, layers. Um, but they never seem to resonate, especially at the time they come out. Except for Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out. Everybody was all over it. They all said they hated it, but they all watched it and buy it. Yeah. So that there's a sequel. Anyway, um, but the other ones, Friday the 13th doesn't have a sequel yet. No, they're trying to do, they're thinking of doing a found footage Jason movie, which sounds like a terrible, terrible idea. It, it could work, but I don't think it should work as, not- a, as a found footage alone. There's a movie just recently came out called Extraterrestrial by the Butcher Brothers, and those guys did Grave Encounters, which is all found footage, and Grave Encounters 2. I don't like either Grave Encounters movies. They're, um, they're Ghost Hunter movies. Ghost Hunting gonna ride. <laughs> I don't like them. I think they're silly. But when they did Extraterrestrial, they combined regular filmmaking, which their filmmaking, when they do it like as regular people shooting, like how Spielberg might shoot, Right. it's beautiful. And then they intercut every once in a while with a few um, moments of handheld found footage elements, like a guy picking up his his cell phone using that to see in the dark or whatever. And that works. So you can do that with Friday the 13th. But not as a full movie, I don't think. Nah, I just seems like a dumb That's concept. just Blair Witch with Jason being the witch. Alright, back to Conan the Barbarian. You know the one thing, I saw this in the theater, and the one thing I was, at the time it took me out of the movie was the insane amount of gore. Like, it was so over the top. Like, you would hit him against a rock and he would explode in blood. I didn't get it at the time, but I kind of get it now that he was trying to give, A, the audiences what they wanted. Because the original, the very first Conan the Barbarian movie was pretty gory. The second one was a kid's movie. And um, I think he was trying to take it back to that pulpy sense. But two, he knew it was a comic book, so he just went full bore. Right. The only thing that disappoints me is every time I look at the budget, I still go, "What? Ninety million dollars?" Because I maybe, feel like, maybe maybe effects houses, but effects houses are notoriously shortchanged. So yeah, I just I look at it and I feel like there's a lot of there's a couple really great action sequences like involving CGI, like the the giant snake, and when um, Rose McGowan, she's uh, like the Sand Queen or whatever she was, like she was yeah, she sends out these uh, minions. Those two sequences looked really difficult and complicated, but at the same time, I think it's one of those movies where they they, they must have uh, either spent it on something else. Like I remember, Brett Ratner almost became the director of this, mm. and they and they also tried to get uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger back, so they might have paid him like some sort of holding deal. Mm. That might have been where the money goes. A lot of these movies, like the development costs, are so high that when you look at the budget and you look at the movie, you're going, oh, that doesn't line up at all. It's because they spent like 10 years renegotiating contracts. Yeah. Like Conan What's the Barbarian. after that? Uh, Land of the Lost. <laughs> the Will Ferrell I one. I saw that in the theater. You did? Yeah. 
I didn't get it. That's another movie I did not get at the time. I remember watching it going... I was disappointed. Come on. It's a disappointing film because everybody's annoying. Yeah, well, also the fact that Will Ferrell looks like he was not reined in at all. There's some directors that know how to handle his uh, improvisational skills. And then Brad Silverlein, I feel like he didn't know what to do, so he just let the camera sit. And then like someone else just said, oh, keep that in, uh, keep that in, keep that in. And he's just like, okay, yeah. I'll handle the special Yorma, effects part. Yorma Tacon as the ape kid was amazing. He's pretty good. I really like that. He's amazing. Yorma's awesome at everything that he does, uh, including making um, MacGruber. But... Um, the slee stacks were good. I like how they were designed, and I like a lot of the the visuals were great in the movie. But it was boring because all the joke style, the style of joke we'd already seen over and over again for years when he was on SNL. And I've so, never I've never been a fan of Danny McBride. Never. I don't get him. I don't get his style. The foot fist way was amusing, but he's been playing the same character over and over and over, and I'm just not interested anymore. He's uh, not the same character in Pineapple Express. He just plays it like he can't not play it. Um, he's Danny McBride. So he's like one of those actors like Jack Nicholson isn't a character. It's Jack Nicholson in a movie. That's true. Most of Tom Cruise's movies are like that, too. <clears throat> People say that about Keanu Reeves, the blank. You know, you just project yourself onto them. Yeah, I don't. But, uh, I've never saw that with Keanu Reeves, and I though I do. I, I like Keanu a lot. I do I miss like his energy that he had when he was younger, like the yeah. energy of you know Bill and Ted's and stuff like that, and uh, uh, love me, love you to death. I want to say the one with Kevin Klein. He was a lot of fun in, and they kind of just faded away. I don't know why. Oh right. Oh yeah, I forgot he was in that. All wow, right. Tracy Ullman movie. Yeah. Uh, 38 is K-19, The Widowmaker. I never finished no. it. I was bored out of my mind. Which one is that? Who Who is in that? Harrison, Harrison Ford, Ford, Liam Neeson. Yeah. Don't care. Yeah. Let's just move on. A huge flop. Catherine Bigelow, very talented, but it was a snoozer. Wait, Catherine Bigelow did it? Yep. Uh, she was probably just working. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was a long gap between, uh, I think, if I remember correctly, she had done Strange Days, which was a big mm-hmm. flop. And then I she thought it was great. And then she didn't do anything until this, and this was a huge flop. And then she went and did the Hurt Locker, and everything changed. You know, like yeah. going, going much tighter budget. Uh, Thirty-seven. I've I've seen, but it makes me my skin crawl. Is beloved. I haven't seen that. I made. And I don't it, want it. Oh, it's one of those movies where the whole time you're like, oh god, I need a shower. This is. Is it just abuse? Is it? Is it's, it like um, torture porn for for? Women who don't like torture porn. It's all I remember from it now. Uh, I was stunned that Jonathan Demi wanted to do it for the the first point. I was like, "What?" And two, Oprah Winfrey was a star. And right. three, um, uh, Thandie Newton is like a tortured. Yeah. So I don't remember if she's mentally ill or she's just like possessed by something. But it's just one of those grimy. I just remember seeing being just very, very uncomfortable the entire time. And after I was done, I was like, I need to watch cartoons and and take a shower. <laughs> I need to well, clean okay, room. wait, wait. What was so grimy and gross about it? What was I think? The, the I think I remember. If I remember correctly, mind you, this has been like 16 years since I saw this. I think if I remember correctly, she did have mental problems, and she has some sort of like sexual addiction. But it was based on I think being raped. I don't. I really don't remember. I'm doing the movie plot injustice, but I remember it just being very sexual, but like in a 
Uh, it would make Angel Heart look like a Disney movie kind of feel. No, because yeah. Angel Heart's hard. Yeah, Angel and that, Heart got an NC seventeen, and that's how it felt to me. I was just like, oh, I don't feel good at all. I want to stop watching this. Uh, you know what? I might be interested. I just looked it up, and it's all uh, horror drama film. I might actually be interested in that. Yeah, I just couldn't uh, get into it. Uh. I just you throw Oprah's name on it, and I just get flashbacks to being thirteen and my mom watching Oprah. Yeah. Um. What's well, uh, thirty six? Poseidon. I actually like this movie not as much as the original Poseidon Adventure, but I do enjoy this movie mostly based on Kurt Russell. I didn't really see most of it. I think I saw bits and pieces while I was, while I was on some TV broadcast. Um, it looked fine. Was it Wolfgang? Yeah. Very. Yeah, so it's a boat movie, and he did dust boot, and so he knows how to handle water and, and cast members. So There's nothing particularly groundbreaking. There's nothing, like, um, original about it. Of course, it's, it is a remake. Um, so it's basically work. Yeah, it's just work. Everybody in it's just doing the best they can do. Um, this is when they're really pushing Josh Lucas as a lead, and yeah. it, he it never felt right. Like stealth and this and, uh, and like I think it was after Incredible Hawk they tried like three times and it just didn't work. But I mean, he's not a bad actor. He's just not the kind of guy that seems to be a lead. Um, he, uh, yeah, he works better in a in a larger cast. Um, one movie that he works really well in, he's the lead, uh, the romantic slash just dramatic lead. Um, it's called Red Dog, and it is one of the best dogs about a the best movies about a dog that dies. I have um, never heard of that one. It's an Australian film. He's an American gone to Australia, and there is a dog. This is uh, based on a true story. Of course, they wrote a really tear jerky, awesome story for it. That is probably not as tear jerky in real life, but they tailored it around this um, Kelpie cattle dog cross breed. who's was well known for his travels through Western Australia's Pilbara region. I just read that. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, it's a true story. The dog is very famous and it was just a stray dog. And it took to this, this traveler, this guy, and it's just so good. And Josh Lucas is in it, and he sells it. He works. It's the, it's his best role, I think. The whole movie is just dang near perfect. But if you don't want to see an animal die, don't watch it. Well, that's a good recommendation. I hope it's you can not, find not, it. Not like okay, not real animal footage dying, cannibal holocaust. No. Oh, I can't it's imagine. It's just, just a story. Just a story about a, a dog that um, very special dog. All right. Red dog. Red dog. That's the name of it. Red Dog. All right, 35. So Josh Lucas maybe what? not be the best leader of films, especially uh, Poseidon, but uh-huh. Red that wor- Dog. That works for him. Okay. Yeah. Number 35, Zoom. Tim Allen, superhero movie. Came a little bit too late. Sky High kind of Tim- hit that plot already. Yeah. Wait, Zoom? Tim Allen? Yeah. This is how much of a flop it was. I don't remember it. Yeah. Um, I remember Sky High. I remember... Yeah, it came out a year after Sky High, and you know it already covered the plot. It had the tone of Galaxy Quest, just not as good by any means. It cost a lot more than Galaxy Quest. It cost seventy-five million dollars. It made twelve. That's crazy bad. Okay, now I'm looking at the thing, and yeah, it looks. Uh, 
I remember the poster now. I remember uh, the only thing I really remember about it is Chevy Chase being like the lab, the head of the lab that develops their costumes or something like that and studies them, and he's sweating it so bad to get the jokes to work. It it, it hurts. It hurts watching everybody try so hard. I actually liked Tim it's, Allen, but it's he, by it's by Peter Hewitt, who I really like. Didn't he do his, Bogus Journey? Yes, that's what I was about to say. Oh. You are so good. Wow. Bogus Journey is one of my favorite movies. And Peter Hewitt directed it. And then he directed um, Zoom. And his last movie was Maiden Heist, which came out just after Zoom in 2009. Zoom came out in 2006. And poor guy. That looks like it was it for him, huh? Mm-hmm. It's a maybe he's doing something else, but maybe, maybe, maybe he's yeah. tired. Maybe he's uh, he's just relaxing. That would be good. You don't have to make movies. No, you can do other Relax. things, that's for sure. All right, so number 34 is Peter Pan. Uh, the 2003. Peter Pan. What's that? Jeremy Sumter. Right. Jason Isaacs. I don't remember it being bad. It. Yeah, I remember being no, very beautiful. I liked it. It was, it was good. It was a solid Peter Pan, live-action Peter Pan. I, I always liked Jeremy Sumter since I saw him in Frailty. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that's where he came from. Where's yep. he now? Have you seen him? Uh, he's his Yeah, he's just doing small things. Indie movies. His latest was a movie called Animal um, for Chiller, which they released theatrically for like a month or something. And it's going to be on Blu-ray and DVD in February. Yeah, that, that's not a movie that I, uh, that that I have any problems with. Joey Lauren Adams is uh, too. But it cost eighty million dollars and only made seventeen million. Oh. I don't understand how. Oh, wait, wait, wait! He did. He did. What? Real, real quick about Jeremy Sumter. He did a movie. Made by, Jeremy Sumter did a movie a while ago made by the director of photography for Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, was it the Sasquatch Dumpling Gang? Gang? That's actually a pretty good movie. It's not I, nearly I as awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's not nearly as awesome as Napoleon Dynamite is. But for, for an odd nut of a comedy about Sasquatch, yeah, it's awesome. It's uh, great. It's Ju- Justin good. Long has like a small part in it. The guy's always kills it. He's got his shirt off. Yeah, it, it's yeah. It's one of the few Justin Long roles that I like. Um, Sorry, you know Justin Long, if you ever hear this. <laughs> um, I I'm actually not against you. I said that wrong. Peter Pan cost a hundred and thirty million, and it made sixty nine million. That's not the worst. Whoa. Yeah, I guess, it, you know, it seemed like it would but, make a lot more money. But, it came out Christmas, and it's a family movie. The budget's but... really big. For, the budget's really big for not, not having that big of a pull. This is domestic gross you're looking at? Uh, worldwide or gross overall. is $121 million and um, yeah, American domestic gross is 69 But even if you cut that down, it didn't even get close well, to make it. Well, I can get that because we don't like anything. We don't like anything, period? Say that again? Oh, <laughs> you said we don't like anything. No, no, I didn't hear you. Oh, okay. You said we don't like anything and then you cut <laughs> no, off. No, 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 no. My words probably got chopped up. Uh, the internet connection. Okay. Problem with the internet. Yeah, sorry. There was a weird lag there. I hate that. It was going well so you know, for a while there, and now all of a sudden it's cutting out. Dang it. Um, yep. 33. Right. Well, the... technology. Can you do? 33, The Postman with uh, Kevin Costner. You know, I still haven't seen it. I, I have still s- haven't seen it, but I heard how much of a tr- production that is and how lame and boring it is. And Is it? 
No, I really, it? I really like it. I own it. I've actually seen it, you know, quite a few times. I think the biggest problem with the Postman is the fact that it opened up. I don't know what he was thinking, making another post-apocalyptic movie after Waterworld, like two years after Waterworld. I think people were just like, "Oh God, again," you know. And it was also very, very expensive, and I'm not sure why it cost so much. Is Waterworld on this list? I don't think Waterworld's on this list because I think it made its money back um, with foreign. Ah. Uh, if it is, it's going to be in the top chunk. Because no, it's not on here at all. We were going to talk about Waterworld, Whoa. and now we won't oh, get that's the chance. Awesome. <laughs> well, I what guess it's silly movie. What's uh, Waterworld? Yeah, I a, I remember. Yeah, the, let's talk about Waterworld for a bit. I remember defending that movie nonstop to my Go. friends, who all said it was stupid. But I always felt like they were saying it was stupid because of such you know so much bad feedback about it. Like it was automatic knee jerk reaction to talk crap about it. And I was like, it is what it is. It's like a comic sure. book movie. It was like a comic book movie before we got them on a regular basis. You know, the Mariner's a superhero. He's got his costume. He's got his mm-hmm. vehicle. You know, he's got his big bad villain. And then, you know, it's just every, you know, I was hoping for more because like each time it would just be a brand new adventure. Though you probably would get sick of the water after three movies. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed the movie for what it was. I, I even went to Universal Studio Tours and saw the Waterworld stunt show. Um, which used to be the A-Team stunt show. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. The, the movie is fine and fun for people being so cinephile, cinephiliac about the whole thing, like um, vitriol against it. Ah, what a piece of crap. No, it's not what a piece of crap. It's a silly genre movie. The score is amazing, and the special effects are really great for that If time. you don't like Kevin Costner, that's your problem. I get the feeling a lot of people don't like Kevin Costner. Every time he does have a movie that people like, the critics back up, the audiences are just like, meh. Right. I think I think his heyday was Bull Durham. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think it's because of the Robin Hood thing. You know, he wasn't British. He didn't play with it. Well, he sort of played it with a British accent. I feel like he was he trying tried. to. He yeah, tried. Yeah. At the very beginning of the movie, you heard his accent not come through, but he was really struggling with it. And all of his movies were like three hours long, like nothing under two hours. I mean, even like the smallest movie, like The War, seemed to be like two and a half hours. And I think that kind of graded on people, too. I didn't mention this in the Halloween episode, but I should have maybe. There's a movie that Kevin Costner did, not Dragonfly, that is a genre film. It's a horror movie, horror thriller, more thriller than horror but it has some freaky stuff in it. It's rated PG-13, but who cares? Nobody's seen it, so it's not like there's a big problem. Movie's called New Daughter. Oh, yeah, you were telling me about this. Not in the podcast, but some other time you were telling me about this. I remember seeing that. It's from uh, the Mexican director, um, right? I, he did, uh, oh, darn it. He did some movie that was really popular at the time, and then he did New Daughter, and no one knew what to do with it, and Anchor Bay like, released it on like 10 screens. Yeah, New Daughter is... So interesting and strange. It's 2009. Um, guy moves to Louis. What is it? Louis Verdejo. That's a director. Um, <clears throat> he moves to South Carolina somewhere and his daughter starts acting crazy bonkers. And he starts noticing these mounds, these burial mounds from Native American stuff. And, uh, Craziness ensues, and it's actually, yeah. I should have mentioned it. Halloween. Then, I didn't. We can always do another edition next Halloween. Sure. Um, yeah, The Postman is just a big flop, bad timing. He should have waited. 
or maybe not have spent as much money. I don't understand how he did Dances with Wolves for like $20 million or less. And then for some reason, The Postman costs... It must have been just one of those productions that just got out of hand. Because you watch it and you can see the budget is higher, like visually, than Dances with Wolves. But you're like, oh no, there's no reason why it costs this much. No, it's crazy. But it's Hmm. maligned. I think it's maligned mostly because of the backlash from Waterworld. That's about it. There's nothing really wrong with it. It's slow, but... You know, most of his movies are kind of slow and ponderous. Yeah. Uh, 32, Monkey Bone. Monkey Bone. It's kind of bad that Brendan Fraser made this list twice already. We're only at 32. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, what's what's the budget on that one? That one was 75 million. That's not that much for for an effects-driven film. Yeah, it's from the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, Henry Henry Selleck. Selleck. And it's from the script by Sam Hamm, who did Batman, who... Had probably one of the most torturous careers, I think, of anybody who every year he seemed to be hired for some comic book project that never went anywhere. I mean, he yeah. he was paid well, but you never got to see any of his work except for this. And now I think this is the final straw. It's an adaptation. Now, Monkey Bone has some amazing stuff in it. Yeah, and it's Absolutely an adaptation of the comic book Dark Town. Um, but which I never read. But the problem with Monkey Bone is that Henry Selleck knows how to shoot animation the way he does so perfectly. Um, but he doesn't really handle the visuals on the human side of things no. as interestingly at all. Even with stunt work that went silly and crazy in it uh, with the humans. When he's directing humans, they're doing their scenes right. They're doing the comedy beats right. They're doing all that stuff correct. But it's just not that fun to look at. Once you get into the crazy, what is it? What's it called? Dark Town. Darktown. Once you get into the Darktown parts of the film, man, that movie stands out. I know. It's great. It's weird. It's got... It's got... uh, You mentioned her already. Rose McGowan. Yeah. Yeah. As the cat girl. (laughs) She's great. She's great as the cat girl. And John Turturro voices perfectly Monkey Bone. Mm Mm-hmm. No, well, Monkey Bone, the character is obnoxious and annoying and, and wrong. That's what he's supposed to be. Um, but uh, uh, it's got a, a big cast of little moments. Yeah, it has a lot of character actors, like good character actors, like almost A-list kind of people, like Dave Foley, you know, had Whoopi Goldberg, Thomas Hayden Church, Giovanni, uh, not Giovanni Ribisi, Giancarlo Esposito. As, like, That's a what cockro- I was going to mention. Not Giovanni would be. <laughs> that would have been funny if he was in it. Yeah, Bridget, Bridget Fonda, Megan Mullally. It has a lot of really great people that play small parts because the main focus, of course, has to stay on Monkey Bone and Brendan Fraser's character. Mm-hmm. Who I think Brendan Fraser doesn't get a lot of credit for basically going all in. His characters, um, when he you know when he's given something to do instead of like some generic drama or thriller or whatever, he really just has no hesitation with embarrassing himself. He doesn't yeah, get any why credit not? for it. Yeah. I mean, you're you're an actor. Why why aren't you doing the thing? Um, I was surprised he never played a superhero. He never got that opportunity. Well, Dudley do right. I mean, I guess maybe Tarzan or George of the Jungle, maybe, I guess. Well, I guess if you But those it, are lampoons. Those are lampoons of those. Yeah, things. I was talking more straight up. Like, I think at one time they were talking about having him being uh Superman. But he didn't want to sign on for a three-picture deal, which now, look at the deals for superhero movies, and three-picture deal seems like nothing. Nothing, but he wanted to be with his kids, I'm sure. Yeah. But family over movies, I mean, it makes sense, so. 
Yep. Monkey oh, Bone. Chris Kattan. Chris Kattan was in that as organ donor stew. Right. Oh. His guts were falling out. I forgot about that. Yeah, he he possessed him. Yeah. So right. Right, right, right. Um, Monkey Bone was a massive flop. I really thought it was gonna go. I didn't think it was gonna be a huge success because it kinda had like a cult. Like you how you know how movies yeah. in the late It doesn't seem to be like one that's on anybody's list nowadays. Yeah, it it seemed like it's something that should have been a lot cheaper, like something that would have come out in the late eighties, early nineties from an independent company and that would have like a niche audience. At best another Beetlejuice. But it only made seven million dollars. Like seven. Like a rights rights that what's it called? Drop Dead Fred. I was going to say Right Said Fred. That's not a movie. <laughs> Drop Dead Fred type of thing. Yeah, it just had that kind of offbeat. Okay, so you remember after, like, it, it felt like in the 80s, I was uh, kind of young for this, so I don't really remember it completely, but there seemed like to be, like, this weird underground thing where it was, uh, like, kitschy and odd and, and, like, you know, Pee Wee's Playhouse, Elvira, Oingo Boingo, you know, where that stuff started to rise up. And, you know, ended pretty much with, like, Tim Burton becoming mainstream. It seems like Monkey Bone would have fit right in at that time. Like, in the 80s. Yeah. That feel. Well, Tim Burton worked with Henry Selleck after that. So, it it does seem like it's linked to that. Yeah, I actually thought um, Tim Burton produced Monkey Bone. Uh, I could be wrong. Nightmare Before Christmas. Do you remember Cabin Boy? Uh, Probably. Yeah, Cabin Boy. He produced that thing, which yeah. was also another one of those bonkers, weirdo things that should have been even crazier, and it, it wasn't. Yeah, I think the budget was just so tight on that. I think they made it for like $5 million or something like that on a stage, which is crazy. David Letterman doing a cameo appearance for no reason. Yeah. Ah, you're a fancy lad. Yeah, because, ah, can't stand them fancy lads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number 31, Alexander. I'm going to go to sleep while we talk about this movie because it's so boring. And there's like eight different cuts. Right. What's the one to watch? I have no idea. There's Do like, I even care? There's the extended cut, the extreme cut, the director's cut, the final cut. And I'm like, you're just trying to make your money back. That's all you're trying to do is just make some money back. This actually destroyed the company, Intermedia. It cost them so much money and they, <laughs> they barely made a profit off of Terminator 3. And then Alexander just buried him. And it's so dull. I'm not a huge Oliver Stone fan. I think a lot of his movies are just excessive wow. and ponderous and bleh. I'll give you Platoon. I'll give you Wall Street. After that, yeah. it gets a little touch and go. Platoon's all right. Oliver Stone. Oh, wait, wait, wait. U-Turn. U-Turn's great. Oh, I forgot about that one. That one's, that one's a really low budget, like, almost like as if he was making a Grindhouse movie with a really good cast. That's it. Yeah, it's just a thriller. And it's a quirky thriller. It's good. Yeah, I, uh, if you're going to watch Alexander, I guess... Visually, it, it's it's what he should have been doing the whole time. Yeah. Alexander looks beautiful. It's really insanely long. I guess one bonus is Rosario Dawson's nude. I guess if that's what you're looking for in a movie. <laughs> that's the only thing you want in the movie. I was like, oh, you got that. Well, then, by that, by that, if the other bonus is, like, Colin Farrell is nude, too. This so. is true. If you're that's your boat. Um, 30... This is probably one of the most talked about bombs in history, and I'm surprised it didn't... I guess it's based on financial and not critical. Uh, Geely, or Jiggly. It's Geely, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. It's Geely, yeah. The thing that depresses me most is that it's from Martin Brest, who did Midnight Run, Beverly Hills Cop, Scent of a Woman. Uh, after, well, I have to say, Scent of a Woman started to be that turn, and then he went to the excessiveness of Meet Joe Black, and then it just ended with Geely. Yeah, I don't 
I don't remember Gili too much except for watching two people who had sex regularly um, fake fight at each other. Yeah, I don't remember the movie being... Because that was the, the, the Benifer thing. The, the Ben Affleck, Jennifer uh, Lopez romance blossoming in front of our face or something. What was their nickname? Uh, but it, Benifer? Benifer, was no. that it? Yeah, I guess that was it. That's stupid. <laughs> I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're watching when you watch that movie, and you're watching how awkward it is because of that, I think. Um, and obviously it didn't last, so. Yeah, and the funny thing is... Uh, neither did the movie. Yeah, it only this, has like a 90-minute running time or something. This movie had collateral damage to the next pairing up, which is Jersey Girl, which is... I know a lot of people hate it, but I actually really enjoy it. It's a family movie. It's not It's not a normal Kevin Smith movie, and I don't care. I, I don't mind it at all. I don't like Kevin Smith in general. Um, I'll tolerate some movies. I think I saw that movie, and I, I didn't hate it. Yeah, so, it's like the only one that I can watch with my mom. That's the best I could say about it. <laughs> that's, I can say that. Yeah, G, uh, Jersey Girl's the oh, only yeah. thing you can watch with family without being, oh, no. All right, number 29, Speed right. Racer. I love Speed Racer. You do? I even love that version of Speed Racer. I don't. I I thought it looked cool yes. when I saw the trailer, but then I watched it and I was like, this is a candy-coated nightmare. Uh, I'm fine with candy-coated nightmares because I ain't afraid of nothing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, so, yeah, Speed Racer, as a child, living in, I think, Georgia and then Italy, um... Georgia, I used to watch Speed Racer all the time. And then we moved to Italy, and hey, they had it on there, but it was in Italian. So what? I'll still watch it. And I just was always affixed to the TV when that was on. So, like, Speed Racer and me, as a child, that's pure nostalgia, and I'm not a very nostalgic guy. But when I saw the movie, I was like, this movie, whatever. I was like you with the trailer, though, not with the movie itself. But the trailer just made it look too much indulgence. But I actually really like how they handled it. I really do. Did uh, Everything I, seemed right, except maybe the kid. Yeah, I like Matthew Fox quite a bit in it, and I was kind of disappointed that it didn't do more for him. But in the movie, like I said, it, it's on this list, so it lost a ton of money. I think maybe it's something that, uh, that people didn't connect to. Here's the weird thing is Speed Racer was not a worldwide hit. You would think that internationally it would have made a ton of money, but it didn't. Not even in its like origin. Like it's Japanese, right? Speed Racer. The original, yeah, the original anime. It's it's anime. It's sixties, yeah. seventies anime. Yeah, and for some reason, it only made twenty million overseas, and that confuses me deeply because that doesn't. You think that would have been huge overseas, but not here. Like I only knew Speed Racer from the Devo uh, yeah. song. That's it. What Devo song? Oh, um, I want to say it's on. Oh no, it's Devo. They do a song all about Speed Racer. Hmm. Very tongue in cheek, very goofy. It Never takes knew it, that. it takes almost Speed Racer as if it was ten years after the cartoon, like where they're all adults. Well, are they adults in the first place? I can never tell. Uh, uh, teenage, uh, young adult. Yeah, it feels like the song takes place like ten years later, and they're growing up. They're trying enough, to adjust. Enough for Pops to yell at Speed all the time. Yeah. Oh, that's right. John Goodman plays Pops in that one, doesn't he? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, I guess that's all I have to say about that. I didn't really care for the movie. It has its audience. It just isn't me. 
There's nothing really wrong with it. Yeah. I just I couldn't care for it. I, the visuals were giving me a headache though. If I had seen that in the theater, oh, well, no, it's it's candy colored nightmare as you said. Okay, if, if you can handle it, I can. I can handle it. I enjoy that, but I, I'm not going to put it on all the time. It's not going to be on loop in my house or anything. That would actually be a nightmare, psychosis inducing nightmare, <laughs> because there's a lot of whip pans and there's a lot of spinning car action where the car, the camera's mounted on the car, and so you see a lot of spinning colors, just spinning. I happen to like roller coasters, so I'm fine. Um, number twenty-eight around. Next. Around the World in 80 Days with Jackie Chan. Didn't see it. You didn't see it? Oh, it's it's just another adaptation, same book. Nope. Only nope. thing is there's more Kung Fu. Of course, I mean, and Schwarzenegger cameo. And he's wearing a turban. I don't know why. I have no idea why. He's like playing a prince and he's trying to get the girl that's in it. And that's all there is to it. There's some Steve Coogan stuff, but he doesn't really get to do his thing. Which, you know, Steve Coogan... Uh. Yeah, they kind of strip him of what makes him him, and he just seems like a generic, just another generic guy teamed up with, uh, it, it's the Shanghai Noon concept. Just take a guy who chatters a lot, and the other guy who doesn't, and does a lot of physical stuff. Mm, that's lame. I guess that's it. There's really nothing to that's say about really it. Neat. Yeah, there's better adaptations, obviously, of Around the World in 80 Days, unless you really like Jackie Chan, I would probably just steer clear of it. Steve Coogan is a, it's a hard guy to get a handle on. Yeah, he's very niche. He, I think he, he'll never... He, he is. He's, he's, the, the trip is great, and Alan Partridge is perfection. Just both of those things are the things that I that really resonate with me. The I have that sitting in my Alan queue. Partridge. i got to watch that. Which one? Uh, Alan, Partridge. Alan Partridge. Yeah, it just came up on Netflix. I have it sitting in my queue. I'm going to watch it soon. Okay, okay. The trick to watching Alan Partridge is just shutting the heck up, not even laughing. Because a lot of the dialogue just keeps going, and there's not a lot of whenever a joke or something funny, some some odd nut thing that happens, you just have to ingest it. You'll want to laugh, but then you might miss the next thing. All right, this one we've talked yeah. about before, and I think both of us detest this movie. It's a Sound of Thunder at number twenty-seven. Peter Hewitt's dad, I think. Oh no, Peter Hyams. Hold on. You're thinking John Peter Hines. Hines. Yeah, I was wrong. This yeah, is like you're right. this is like yeah, the last yeah. gasp. You know, uh, you know, uh, Peter Hyams is always kind of yeah. a work. This Go ahead. Is sad. Yeah, Peter Hyams is always kind of like a workman, kind of, but more. But he has a visual style, right? And then it just kind of disappeared after. I mean, as much as I like, I know it kind of throws me under the bus here. I'm throwing myself under the bus by saying I like Time Cop and I like Sudden Death, even though they're kind of generic. It was those out, two movies, I think. What's that? Outland? Oh, no, I was thinking, I was going to say, those two movies that he did with Van Damme changed everything, and then he stopped having his own kind of, like, tone and style, and the movie quality really started to dip. Capricorn 1, Outland, those were his visual style. He has a visual style. Um, and I think he kept the visual style in, in, uh, in Time Cop. But I think he was making more mainstream. Like, But I, think I don't he... think he kept it. Yeah, Peter Hyams seemed to be a gun for hire once Time Cop came around. He wasn't like, it didn't sound like he was really being very careful with what he was choosing. I think he was just trying to get a paycheck. Let me see something. I'm going to check something real quick. Okay. Let me... Oh, guys. Uh, he did um, 2010. So, okay, so he did Outland, he did Capricorn 1, he did 2010. All of those hold his visual stamp. And I, also... and Time Cop, I think Time Cop did too. 
Yeah, I, I think uh, he did bring a little bit of it to The Relic. I don't know if you remember that movie, the giant monster movie in the yeah, museum. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I hate The Relic. Yeah, he had, it, so. but it has his look. It. Yeah, um, it has because he works in dark a lot. He does a lot of work with dark very decently. I think it's weird when he would do comedies. Like he did Running Scared. And I don't he think did... he's done any. Did you, did you see Stay Tuned with John Ritter? Like he did two comedies and I always thought that was strange because it's kind of out of his oh, wheelhouse. I like I like Stay Tuned. We have Stay Tuned. We were going to watch it this Halloween, but we've missed watching it, so we're going to watch it soon. Stay Tuned is great. Yeah, it's just John, a, it's one of John Ritter's best things. Yeah, and it bombed badly, but it's it's much better than I just don't think the studio know how to sell it. Well, Sound of Thunder's problem isn't just that; it's that the studio didn't allow it to have the effects it needed. Oh yeah, I was trying to watch it the other day, and do you remember the opening sequence where he's out in the street and cars are zooming by? It looks so insanely bad for an eighty million dollar movie. It looks more like a twenty five million dollar movie. Yeah, I, I'm i really bothered by it. And the casting is just, that's not the right cast for this type of movie. Originally, I remember that it got greenlit, and it was going to be, uh, Rennie Harlan was directing it with Pierce Brosnan as a star, and they both dropped out. Well, I don't mind Ben Kingsley in anything, just about. Even over at Bowles movies, Ben Kingsley adds something to it. But Edward Burns, no diss on Edward Burns, because he's a filmmaker in his own right, and he does great work in that arena but when he's doing this as the lead it's just he just ends up being the blank yeah he seems so blank in this movie and when it comes to this kind of style you need to have more energy he seems very casual the way he talks he may have passion but he doesn't seem like that kind of big budget kind of persona he seems like the more independent you know smaller character pieces which is what he Mm -hmm. thrives at yeah Um, and I, i love i love ray bradbury so yeah, I, I think, have a book signed by him. Yeah, I think the it's, reason I think the reason that uh, Pierce Brosnan dropped out is because he didn't feel that was the story. Like they kept changing stuff, and he's like, "This isn't the story that you know it's based on." So why would I do it? This is just a you know just like a almost like a ripoff of the concept. Well, Ray Bradbury Theater did um, the story in a very in thirty minutes <laughs> and a much so. smaller budget. Much in a, in in a shoebox size budget. There's like a couple of twenties and maybe a five, and there like forty five dollars <laughs> for the budget of that. You know, it was a very lame budget, and they did that short. I think um, maybe an Outer Limits might have touched it. I'm not sure. I just remember seeing more versions of this story having been made, but this very big budget movie as bloated as they tried to make it. Eh, eh, a Tyrannosaurus apes. You know, it's funny. It's, I barely, I, evolution. I barely remember the movie and, uh, I don't even know if I could sit through it now. I just, it seems like one of those movies that, and the funny thing, this is another movie from franchise pictures where it says it's $80 million, but I get the feeling they smuggled some of that money. Uh huh. Probably. Uh, you know, it's funny is I remember seeing a trailer for this movie in 2002. I honestly don't think it came out on video. I rented it when it first came out, and I'm pretty sure that was 2008. It sat around that long. Uh, 2005 is when it came out. It did? On, really? Yeah, that's, that's what they say. Wow. 
Maybe I just took a long time to get around to renting it. But I know part of the reasons that it sat around wasn't just because Warner Brothers didn't know what to do with it. It's because that company franchise was in like in court. So two or three of their movies got held up. Uh, so it might have been done earlier. It still doesn't make it a better yeah. movie, that's for sure. <laughs> no, you're right. You're right. Uh, number 26, The Great Raid. Never finished it. As much as when? I like... What's that? What year? Uh, 2005. It has... Um, uh, 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 which had, uh, Benjamin Eastwood, Bratt, right? What's that? Eastwood. No, no. That's the one from the director of Red Rock West, John Dahl. Yeah, John Dahl. It's like his big budget movie that he did for Miramax. James Franco, Benjamin Bratt, and Joseph okay. Fiennes. And it, it's one another one of those movies that got delayed over and over and over because what was the Eastwood one that came out around the time? Flags of Our Fathers. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's why I got him confused. And I think this is a Korean War movie, if I remember correctly, where they it was either Korean War or Vietnam, but it's one of those movies that I just it, towards it, the end. It's actually towards the end of World War Two. Oh, it is. Okay, I was way off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Told you I didn't finish the movie or it didn't resonate whatsoever. Right. I don't remember it being a bad movie. It's just one of those movies that I just could not connect to, and I think that's why it got dumped. It's just they didn't know what to do with it, and right before. You remember, you remember how the Weinsteins, they got their company taken away from them? They got Miramax, like, stripped away, and they all they got they got cast aside with Dimension. Do you remember yeah. that at all? <laughs> yeah. Well, The Great Raid was one of the very last movies um, under that window, and Miramax just dumped everything that had been sitting on the shelf for years, like, within a two-month period of time, and The Great Raid was one of those that they just put out, like, very minimal release. Like, a thousand screens, $10 million promotion budget, and that was it. Hmm. You know what's sad about John Dahl now, right now? Yeah. Is that all he is is a working director. And no, I'm not dismissing working directors because you can do a lot of great work. And he's actually worked on a whole a heck of a lot of great. From Breaking Bad, True Blood, um, Shameless, Falling Skies, Homeland, even an Arrow episode. Really? Vampire Diaries, four episode of Vampire Diaries, Hannibal, Dexter, Justified, oh. Americans, Californication, Ray Donovan, The Stain, The Bridge. He's working Tons. a lot, but it's it's just not the same. His movies are very particular. You can't see him. Right. You want to see him. He did Joyride. He did Red Rock West. He did Unforgettable. He did The Last Seduction. Kill Me Again, Red Rock West, Last Seduction, Unforgettable, Rounders, Joyride, and then uh, some TV show stuff and The Raid. But since the Great Raid, he's been doing mostly television stuff. He almost did Punisher Warzone. He actually signed on to it, and when he found out like like the violence level, which is weird because you would think that he knew what the Punisher was, he just decided to step out. The budget was too small for his liking and too much gore. Mm, I don't necessarily. I think they could have. He could have made it work even better than they. I like. I like the the last Punisher movie. I do. At first, so I didn't I like it because the gore took me out of it. Sometimes the movies just do that for me. I don't know why. But then you kind of go back and you view that Lexi Alexander was just like, I'm going all in. No, hold, mm-hmm. no holding back whatsoever. So now I view that almost as... I love Thomas Jane as the Punisher. I think he's the perfect Punisher. But Ray Stevenson is pretty good. And the movie's tone on the second one, the Warzone one, is perfect. Yeah. It, it doesn't sway like the way the one with John Travolta. The, the only grouse I have about it is two grouses is just visually it's way too neon, I think. Um, and 
the villains, the two brothers, oh, yeah. are a bit too much. Chewy. They're just chomping on everything. They're just sinking their teeth into everything ever well, around them. But they're great <laughs> actors, so we're halfway through the list. Uh, I don't. I don't want to stop on the great raid. So let's just finish on number twenty-five. All right, cowboys and aliens. <laughs> Did you see this? Oh, one? how I wanted to watch it. Oh, how I wanted to like it. I know. Oh, when I saw it, I was bored by it. Yeah, I, I went to the theater and saw it, and everybody else was like getting really into it. I'm just like, I don't feel this at all. And it's. I think it's the worst Harrison Ford performance ever. He's all just. And why is he playing a bad guy like that? Come on. I just felt like he was just, uh, it felt like uh, direct-to-video, low-budget acting. Like someone way, like Gary Busey acting. Now, yeah. now Gary Busey. It's just like, Harrison Ford, man, what are you doing? This is terrible. Sam Rockwell's wasted. Yeah. Uh, I forgot that he was in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I can't believe I can't remember his name. Uh, Daniel Craig. I just felt like he was seriously miscast. Mm-hmm. You know, Robert Downey Jr. was originally the star, and he stepped out. Probably wanted too much money. That or he knew better. Or he knew better, but have you ever seen the comic? What movie? Uh, the comic of this movie. Oh, no, a, no, I haven't. It's a comic-based movie. I, as an illustrator, know how it feels to have your stuff slammed and talked badly about or not even regarded. Um, I'm sadly going to talk negatively about the comic book artwork. I don't know about the story. The story is probably the exact same thing in the movie. But the artwork, it kind of gives you hope if you're an illustrator and you draw better than these guys. Because it's bad. The artwork is bad. It's bad. It's high school bad. It's a guy who in high school drew all right for a high schooler. And then that's where he plateaued or something. And then he did this comic book. I don't know. I'm not speaking specifically. I'm just speaking how the art looks. I'm not saying talking specifically about the guy. I don't know his name. Don't know who he is. Scott Mitchell Rosenberg. <laughs> uh, sorry, Mr. Rosenberg. I hope you draw better now. Oh, uh, it's Platinum Studios. They have never really been known for high quality comics. They're using more concept. They're well, not... they got this concept sold and optioned, and that was the deal. That was the big deal about it. They got this thing basically a storyboard in comic book form and said and shopped it. So success on you guys. You guys made a lot more money than I ever will, probably. But but Oh boy. It's really bad looking. I'm looking at everything from this company. Okay, so originally started off called Malibu Comics. Do you remember them? I remember Malibu. And then I think Marvel might have bought them out, but then he retained the rights to some stuff. I don't know. But then it became Platinum Studios. So if you look at all the projects that they've done they're really disappointing. So they did Dylan Dog, Dead of they, Night. Wait, wait, wait. They they drew Dylan Dog or they reissued? Uh, let me look here. Uh, I think it's reissuing. I don't think anybody's ever done Dylan Dog except for the Italian dude. Uh, no, no, they own the rights. They own the rights to the adaptation. It said Platinum's uh, Macroverse Bible, a slate of comic book characters acquired by Rosenberg. So he bought the comic. So I don't know if they republished it or they licensed the character. Well, well, Dark Horse ended up doing the reissues in English of Dylan Dog. Yeah, so that's kind of confusing the wording on this. Uh, Dead of Night they did. I don't, I don't know that one at all. That doesn't seem familiar. Oh, no, that's Dylan Dog. Okay, 
Dead of Night. That's the Dylan Dog movie, Dead of Night. So they probably just got the rights to do the adaptation of the movie. Right. Uh, Jeremiah, do you remember that TV show on Showtime with Luke Perry? I actually like that show, even though it's very tight budget. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of scope. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nightman, which is notorious for being one of the worst superhero shows ever. Right. You have a red eyeball. Yeah. And it was so, it was like Manimal. In fact, I think if I remember correctly, Manimal shows up in Nightman. Do you remember Manimal at all? I know the character just by looking at it, but I don't know the story or anything. Yeah, it's just a guy who has the power to turn into like a hawk or a panther. It's really stupid. <laughs> it's notorious for being one of the biggest flops in TV history. But for some reason, he showed up on Nightman. It's the same producer, I think. Ultra Force, and then their big one... Uh... Uh, their big one is they had the rights to Men in Black. That was a Malibu comic. Okay. So they reaped the benefits of that. That's probably how they got Cowboys and Aliens made is because, well, these guys did, you know, they knew what they were doing with Men in Black, even though they don't really know what they're doing. That's more of the producer and director and star that know what they're doing. It's just a comic book, you know. Yeah, the concepts, because Men in Black wasn't the comedy. Men in Black was a serious story about the Men in Black. Um, and then they got... Everybody they got to make the movie, and then it was a comedy. Then it was fun times. Yeah, so I have to say, back to Cowboys and Aliens, severely disappointing. Um, even visually, I wasn't that excited. And it's not as if the Old West can't be turned into something visually exciting. It's when you added the aliens to it, I just didn't care. I didn't care about the villain. I didn't care about the design, the action. It, it needed. Okay, if you're going to do Western, there's probably two ways you can do Western. The Clint Eastwood way, the the real Clint Eastwood Unforgiven type of direction, or Spaghetti Western homage. And I believe they should have simply done Spaghetti Western homage with aliens. Should they have ditched the comedy? Uh, in No, you don't ditch the comedy with Spaghetti Western. You just keep everything as dry as possible. You keep it black comedy. Yeah. Dark. It felt like a lot of times in the movie that they're really, really trying to press for the comedy, and it just wasn't there. You saw, you saw Quick and the Dead, right? Right. The problem with Quick and the Dead is the score. The score doesn't sound like a spaghetti western, but you replace it with spaghetti western music, and it's a perfect spaghetti western homage. You have the humor there, and it's all pitch black. There's nothing cheery, no silly humor things to it. Uh huh. But the humor is there, in, including in the camera work. Part of the charm of Spaghetti Westerns is these crazy zooms and, and low-angle camera setups and so on. Yeah, and, that's the, what's, and the fact that no one's really good. I always love that. Right. Every character is kind of gray, just like deeper levels of gray as you go along. So um, Cowboys versus Aliens, we saw it in the theater and we're just bored. And that's the thing. The script was uneven. So I think through word of mouth, it failed. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. Uh, so Mel, uh, no, I almost said Mel Gibson. Harrison Ford has a thing where he has a movie that has broken $100 million every decade. The 70s, yeah. 80s, 90s, whatever. And I was, it had just, what was that, 2010 or 2000? It was 2011. And I was like, oh, he's going to keep the streak going? Because I really thought Cowboys and Aliens, it's from the director of Iron Man. It's got James Bond. You know, and it's going to be a huge hit. And I remember as it hit around 95 million, I was like, oh, please just get over 100. Just get over 100 so it qualifies. Because I want him to have one like every decade. And of course, at the time, we didn't know there was going to be another Star Wars. And I think, right. it, I think it literally ended at $100 million 
like an additional like uh, a thousand on top of that. That was it. So he qualified. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't need it. No, but I always, I always thought it'd be cool if he continued that record for as many decades as possible. Because I don't know anybody else who could do it. Right, but he's so—I don't know. Like you said, he's so crotchety and just silly grump. But I'll tell you something else about Harrison Ford, other than being a grump in public and in movies nowadays. He's also a helicopter pilot, and he does really cool things like saving people no with kidding. his helicopter. Yeah. Well, that's cool. So we can probably leave it there. Harrison Ford is a rescue chopper pilot. Maybe he's his own action figure. Holy moly. He's, yeah. a, he's a real-life action hero. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, that... he, he flies the chopper. They, they send out the, the guy to hook the guy who's stuck in a wilderness somewhere. And he flies the chopper out. He's, he's super important. Well, I guess when you're not doing movies, you do like really important things. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Thank you for letting me know. Well, So, number 24 is where we start off at, and I've never seen this movie. How do you know? The one with Paul Rudd, Owen Wilson, Jack Nicholson. What's it called? How do you know? Never heard of it. Yeah, it's a really, really (laughs) terrible title. It's so generic. And When did it come out? It came out uh, Christmas of 2010. Wow. It's from the director of Broadcast News, James L. Brooks. Um, I have no idea why this costs $100 million. I've never even heard of a straight-up comedy. Who, uh, all right. You're right. You'll know why when you look at the stars. Well, who are they? Still, $100 million? I Jack Nicholson, Reese Witherspoon, that, Owen Wilson, Paul Rudd. It. Okay. So it's Jack Nicholson and Reese with her spoon. I always like to say Reese with her spoon because it's really <laughs> funny. I just imagine uh, a girl or her holding a spoon so that might it's reese with her spoon that might be more interesting than the movie itself i've had this sitting in my voodoo account as a free download and i've never i've never bothered to watch Hmm. it it's just sitting there it's been sitting there for like two years um there's one movie that she's i'm i'm not a fan of hers but there's one movie that um she's in with uh mark ruffalo and it's a ghost story but when i started watching it I'm like, my wife would like this because she likes some sappy, dumb girl stuff. Uh-huh. And she likes a whole lot of great stuff. Don't get me wrong. She likes tons of awesome. But sometimes she gets these moments where she just wants to watch silly romantic comedies or whatever. And she loves ghosts. So I was like, this is totally hers. And then I watched it and I, I liked it. And I don't like Reese with her spoon. Give her a fork. <laughs> <Put them. laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, it's <laughs> awful. Um, but yeah, uh, that's a digression. I'm just saying we can't talk about one. We don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so we probably should move on. Hugo is number 23. I actually like Hugo's delightful. It is. It lost so much money though. It lost nearly $77 million. That, that is a 3d special effects awesomeness thing. And that's why it cost so much because of the 3d effects. I have to say this. I'm I don't sure. really understand 
I'm really good with box office like numbers and stuff like this, but I still have a hard time understanding how it is that a movie that made 185 million worldwide but cost mm-hmm. 150 can lose that much money. Were they promoting it so heavily, like spent so much on advertising and didn't make any of it back on like video? Or they only counted maybe, box office? Maybe, not- I mean, uh, I have it. I got it free on iTunes. Like they were giving the thing away. Wow, you think they're trying to make like, some of their money back? Yeah, they have it on Netflix too. Like everywhere, it's available. But it's a it's a nice movie. It's yeah. cute. It's it's I can't fault it at any point. No, it does not play down. It's a kids movie, but it doesn't play down to anything. Right. It's Mark Scorsese, and he just keeps it at a level for everybody to you know. He doesn't play it silly for kids, and he doesn't try to make it subversive for adults to get it. It's just a straight up fairy tale. Yeah, uh, but but like. With, it's like a filmmaker's fairy tale. Like he's referencing George Mill, Mill, whatever his name is. He's referencing that guy who did Rocket to the Moon. Oh yeah, his stuff is just magical when you look at it. How it's almost like um, a magician. You look at it and you're like it's silent era. But how did he do those special effects even back then? He's groundbreaking. So it's a love letter to his stuff. You know what's weird is it just occurred to me that Ben Kingsley has popped up in like four of these movies already. Yeah, he's box office poison. I know, he's a really good actor, but it seems like he either doesn't know. Nah, it has to be just timing, you know? A lot of these movies are actually pretty good, but yeah, like I was just thinking Ender's Game isn't on this list, and that lost a massive amount of money. He's in, um, what's the vampire movie from you, Bull? Uh, mm-hmm. Blood Rain? Blood Rain. Yeah, Blood Rain. Yes. I think that made like a buck fifty. It just seems like a lot of stuff that he was in, except for Species. Species made a profit. That's about it. Yeah, and the, the, don't get me started. Species. Species. Don't get me started. Oh yeah, and Iron Man three, which everybody hates him in, which I'm okay with. I like that's great. It really surprised and, the audience, and people are like, "No, it's got to stick to canon." I'm like, "No, read the comic Hail, book." Hail to the King is a short that followed it. Um, where he's in prison, and it implies that maybe, maybe he really is the real Mandarin, huh? Huh? Mm-hmm. But it's an implication, so they, they, yeah, who knows? Who knows if he is? Yeah, people want it straight up. Sometimes vagueness doesn't satisfy people. But that's short, actually. If whatever you had a problem with, with Iron Man three, which I thought was pretty fantastic, but um, if you had problems with his little thing, just watch Hail to the King. That's short. It's. It's really, really, really great. All right. Number 22, Triple X, State of the Union. I've actually seen this That's movie a few times. Ice Cube. Right. I hate the one with Vin Diesel. It's so, oh. I mean. Well, just, like, okay, the Vin Diesel one, I haven't seen too much of, but it has uh, the the water contraption thing that he's on. Looks, it's supposed to be, like, got big metal bolts, but all the decoration you know like it, it's it's a vehicle design uh-huh. all the big bolty parts really look like it's painted plastic or fiberglass painted to look like metal and it just looks so i don't know like tim burton designed that one thing yeah i, I actually and the rest of it's supposed to be high-tech and super spy stuff and this thing looks like tim burton's version of high-tech and super spy stuff which isn't like as if it was in the fifties or sixties. Well, okay. Um, Edward Scissorhands, the big, the big sets when uh, in the scenes with um, Vincent Price. Every all these big bolts holding all of his contraptions and whatever 
it's just this very it's like made out of foam core or something oh yeah but painted so it's like this gun metal with a slight uh metallic sheen to it that's what the the boat looked like to me so I guess to so, explain the plot of Triple X, uh, it's if I can't believe no one's seen it, but if you haven't, it's supposed to be like a, a, a play on how James Bond is too uptight and too rigid, and that he sticks out like a sore thumb. He really couldn't be undercover, which is kind of true. It's weird that he seems to be able to walk into anywhere and just go, "Bond, James Bond," you know. And then like people are like, "All right, we're cool with that," and not you know, not immediately kill him. Right. And Triple X kind of takes it where if you're going to go into the extreme world, you take an extreme guy who looks like he fits in that world. Um, mm-hmm. that's a basic plot, but the thing is so ridiculous. I know it's cool if you're 18, but if you're not 18 after that, you're like, uh, Oh, this is not, I guess, I guess 18. I wasn't 18 when it came out. I wasn't either, but I'm just saying that's kind of the audience they're going for. And, uh, I kind of look, they were trying to get the fast and furious guys to want to watch Vin Diesel as a super spy. Yeah. And that was like when everybody and he didn't want to come back. Movie. He was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do a sequel. So they got Ice Cube. And Sonny Mabry's in that one. She's awesome. And William Defoe, um, uh, Peter, ah, crap, Peter Strauss, and the guy from, he, I hate it when I can't remember the names, the guy from Underworld. You know, he was on Felicity for years. Uh, Scott uh, Speedman. Scott yeah. Speedman. Yeah. And, you know, I actually like the cast, and I like the story a lot better. It's still not genius by any means, but the stuff, even if the special effects still look kind of silly, uh, I think the storyline's a little more serious, and they go deeper into more comic book mythology with some of the stuff instead of just doing like, "Hey, we're going to do an extreme sport, man!" And you know, and it was a huge. Yeah, flop. well, what's okay? Since I haven't seen that one, has Ice Cube? I, I when I said Sunny Mabry's in it, and that's awesome. I like Sunny Mabry; she's really funny. And I have really no idea great who that is. And awesome. Sunny Mabry is the blonde lady in that movie. Okay, <clears throat> she's she's never given her moment to really, really shine in movies because she's a pretty girl, uh-huh. but she's hilarious. She's really funny. She has a Vine account, and she posts, you know, Vine videos hit very seldom, I think, with me, but hers hit pretty consistently. She's very amusing anyway. So <clears throat> she was on Snakes on a Plane. Oh, okay. Come on. Come on, <laughs> I barely remember on a that. Plane. <laughs> what can you do? Snakes on a plane is great. What was your question about Triple X? What is Triple X the second one? What's Cube's deal? Because uh, so apparent- they got a replacement. Yeah, so Vin Diesel for- apparently is dead, and they go in. They try to find someone who is even more extreme. And he literally says that. And uh, <laughs> I guess he was uh, in the military, but he ended up killing his. Uh, captain or something like that because they disagreed that's called fragging yeah he fragged he fragged his captain oh i did not know that um mm-hmm. so, so he comes from a fragment hand grenade usually you use a grenade and it kills oops the grenade went off but it you know they've used the concept in various other movies no escape used it yeah it's it's kind of the same concept i believe I, if i remember correctly if i'm wrong i apologize but i think if i remember correctly ice cube killed his captain because he was opening on fire on innocent people while they're in like you know a dmz or something like that and mm-hmm. um that's why he was in jail they broke him out and now they use him because i guess the entire thing is compromised kind of the way it is in captain america like almost yeah like, either everybody's dead or everybody's bad and there's only a few people left. Oddly enough, Samuel Jackson is involved in that one too. 
Right, right, right. I was going to mention that. And so they find someone who's not... And, and his face is also jacked up. Weird. And they find someone who's not part of the system. It's Ice Cube, and they go from there. And they, he uses more underground methods instead of using the government path or whatever. Um, and the funny thing is, I just saw the movie like two months ago, and I, I'm already vague on it. So I'm not going to say it's truly memorable, but I do remember like being able to sit through it more than once, the way I have not been able to with Triple X. Yeah. Basically. Now, okay, you guys might think that I know what I'm talking about when I and I I might actually know what I'm talking about, but I don't. When I worked at Blockbuster, I always said this: I don't ever have to actually see the movie to know what it's about, to know <laughs> know if it's good or know if it's bad, especially if it's an Adam Sandler movie. You I can tell it. right away. Um, but uh, like that's why I know details about Triple you know, X and whatever, and even though I haven't seen them, though I feel I this just is... pick things up. I just picked things up. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think um, the thing here is I could have swore the second Triple X costs a lot less than the first one. This one says it cost $113 million. I've seen the movie, and I read that it only cost 65 because they weren't huh. sure. if. It, I mean, why would you invest that much money in Ice Cube? Because he really didn't have any hits outside of Friday, and those were never that big of a you know big a hit. Like, well, was this did, – did are, are we there yet? Did that come out before or after? Uh, it came out a year or two before. So that's that's why he had a pedigree. Then that's why they his money's more. Still, I Which, don't know. That's just so ironic. Anyway, doing a kid's movie and being Ice Cube. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it felt like for a while he was selling out, but the action movies weren't making any money, so the comedies were. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's ever had a successful action movie. I was thinking about Trespass bomb, Triple X bombed. Trespass uh, is, is really interesting. It is. Uh, of course, William Sadler and Bill Paxton is probably the best part. That's why it's interesting, honestly. Trespass, Cause... part of it is irritating because the F-bomb is dropped every sentence. Yeah. Yeah, that is really interesting. It becomes like uh, white noise. Irritating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I, it's, um. It's, it's as if the whole cast is just saying their lines with, um. Like they couldn't remember and they're pausing. I, um, was, um, going, um, to the, um, store and, um, uh. I found um, some uh, gold. I remember watching that with my youth pastor, and the whole time, like getting more comfortable. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah, it was, it was an awkward movie. And afterwards, like the funny thing is, you watch it by yourself, you enjoy it a lot more. But the whole time, I'm like cringing, waiting for him to say something, or like, should I stop it? I don't know what to do. So I I went to a really cool church for a very short period of time and the pastor was cool. And we went into movies a few times and we saw gross point blank and I knew all the songs that were popping up and I would just whisper like final thumbs, <laughs> you know, I would just whisper that throughout the whole movie, whatever it was to the point where he was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so my pastor, my pastor who, who was, he was like five, six, maybe seven years older than me. It was like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> you know, I just think it's funny having a pastor tell you to shut up. Yeah. Um, he, but he was totally cool. That's, I mean, obviously we're watching Gross Point Blank rated R movie. So cool yeah, pastor. Yeah, I think my youth pastor took me to Demolition Man, which was rated R, but that's like a light R. That's so light. That's right. comic book light. It should have been PG-13, like, except for a couple of F-bombs. Yeah, really. Yeah. And and, and his, his sculpted... Literally sculpted buttocks. Oh yeah. Well, still, that's because almost... he's frozen. It's it's a sculpture of him. Um. Let's see. Number twenty-one. Next. The Wolfman. The one from. I like Wolfman so much. The director's cut is even better. 
that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's, the theatrical I version like kind of left me a little cold because here, here's my one problem with the movie. Benicio Del Toro is so mopey that it's hard for me to get into his character. Like, I thought that you'd be, if you're going to be the Wolfman, for once, I would love it if people just got into it. Like, holy crap, I have these powers. Yes, they, they, you know, or something, you know, a little more energy of life into it instead of like, oh, pours me. Oh, no. Well, the very, that's, that's, that's lending itself from the very first Wolfman. He was very much a distraught character, probably a lot more manic. Um, but he wasn't exactly uh, accepting of it. And I don't know. It like, just, all right, it almost wolf like, out. It almost felt like Benicio Del Toro didn't want to be in the movie. Like, he just wanted That's, to, oh, I got to get out of this. He, he, is, he is actually the quietest part of it. And yeah. Then, and then Anthony Hopkins almost overdoes it because he's trying to make up for his low levels. If you have to find terrible things about this movie, that's probably it. Uh, Benicio might have been just doing it for the money. Yeah. And, and Anthony Hopkins might have been just doing it because it's fun. And so... Mm, and I know it was a seriously yeah. troubled production. I know that originally Mark Romanek was supposed to be the director. And he pulled out at the very last minute. And uh, Joe Johnston stepped in. And he just yeah. he he admitted he just took the job uh, for a paycheck because he hadn't done a movie in quite some time. And um, I know that there was issues with the special effects, even though Rick Baker is like a master of that kind of makeup stuff, and he's done werewolves before. For some reason, they had issues with it, and they had to go in and reshoot some special effects and reshoot. Uh, some do you think? Sequences. Do you think it's issues with the actual effects, or do you think it's issues with the studio saying we need more CG? Maybe that, or maybe they thought that it looked a little too old school. Like, I mean, it's supposed to be a remake, so it's supposed to look more like the original Wolfman. So I don't know if they wanted something more updated right. that kids would get into. Yeah, but, well, okay, everything is to try to hit kids, and kids are all like, oh, cool graphics. Cool graphics. Yeah. Old video games. Cool graphics. Now when CG stuff started happening, what what do you get? Um, American Werewolf in Paris. Oh, yeah. You, they... And why I enjoy that for Tom Everett Scott, but I don't enjoy the CG stuff. So why go that route? But I'm thinking the studio probably was they pulled the thing or tried to pull the thing. Yeah, the remake, not the remake, the prequel to the thing had all these really great practical effects, and I actually think that the movie version, not the movie version, the final version of the film has it still looks good even with the CG stuff merged with the practical. But it would have been even better with just practical. Some stuff's still I think so maybe, hard to do, though, practically. and it tries, Yeah, I think maybe that's the problem, though, that with the studio. Yeah, so, I mean, with that, the Wolfman probably... Should, I think conjecture. it was supposed to cost a flat 80. And it just so many production problems and delays and rewrites and reshoots. You know, that's why it cost $150 million. I went and saw this in the theater. I had really no major problems with it. And I think the, the thing is, you can almost always tell when there's a big studio film that the studio doesn't have a lot of trust in. Faith. They'll dump it in January it's and February. A, yeah, yeah. Well, why didn't they do that with Dracula Untold? The new Dracula movie. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, Looks like a stinker. Yeah, it, it's doing well overseas, but almost all those kind of movies do well overseas, not here. I, I like... Luke Evans, that's his name, I think. Yeah. I like him. I think he's really cool. But, uh... 
Do you get the feeling it's that a, a lot of movies now, they're not focused on quality directors. They're focusing on directors who are affordable and know how to handle special effects. Not so much actors, but handle yeah. special effects. And that's kind of the problem with a lot of these big monster movies is they're like, oh, this guy knows, you know, he was a, he was a stunt choreographer or he was a special effects guy. We can get his talents for cheap instead of finding someone yeah. who has the skills or energy to come up with something creative. Right. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and dumping. Well, Wolf- okay, so so my cons- our, is there our consensus about Wolfman that it's it's pretty all right. It's good, but the pseudo meddling, the director's cut is the one you want to go with. That's the only, yeah. that's the only thing I'll say is don't go with the regular cut. Go with the director's cut. There's a lot more footage. Director's cut. Things are different. It's um, it just has more of a, a sophisticated tone. Not to sound snooty, yep. but there's more to go with in that version than there is with the the shorter cut. Which which is a neutered version, if you will. Yeah. Because wolf dogs neutered. <laughs> okay. You're Next. big with the puns. <laughs> Wind yeah, talkers. I know. I like I like puns. They're stupid. They're dumb. They're sometimes the easiest stuff to do. Sometimes <laughs> very difficult. Uh, number twenty is wind talkers. I saw that in the theater with my dad. I actually own this movie. I've seen it quite a few times. I have no problems with this movie. I mean, yes, I like Adam Beach. I like Adam Beach a yeah, whole lot. Yeah, seriously underrated. I don't know why more people don't use him. Uh, he, he keeps popping up in these low-budget direct-to-video movies, and I'm like, you guys realize he's probably A-list. He has the talent. He's solid. All the time, solid. Um, Smoke Signals is where I first saw him, and dang, he owned it. Everybody in that movie owned it, but have you seen Smoke Signals? No, I have not. That is uh, based on Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fighting in Heaven, huh. that book. Um, Native American uh, short stories, I think, a compilation or a anthology, whatever. But the movie itself is based on just one part of it, I think. Yeah, I think the first but thing I saw cool. him was Joe Dirt. You read uh, the firecracker. <laughs> That's the first time I saw him, and then I think it was the next year when he did Wind Talkers. It just—it's just weird to me that there's Kicking not. Wing. Chief kicking wing. Why is it All there's right. no leading men, Native American leading men anymore? I mean, Lou Diamond Phillips is now just doing directed video stuff, and there's really nobody. And TV. And what? Yeah, and TV. He's oh, doing yeah. Longmire That's right. and stuff like that, which I love him in Longmire. Lou Diamond is awesome in Longmire. Very, very formidable. Um, so Wind Adam Talkers, Beach, though. Yeah. Uh, Wind Talkers is the one that should have broke through for him, and I, I still to this day don't understand what it was that people didn't care for in this movie. Um, I thought it had a very complex well, story. Well, Maybe it's, John Woo. It's John, it's, it's John Woo, and people don't associate John Woo with a World War II story, even though he did like two or three Vietnam War movies that were critically acclaimed. So, in John, what did he do? He did Bullet in the Head, and I believe one. I think the last version of uh, A Better Tomorrow is set in Vietnam. Oh. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe it is only bullet in the head. Maybe I'm exaggerating. But, I mean, it's not as if he hadn't approached war movies before. Maybe people thought the stylization of the action sequences was offensive because at this point, I don't think that we were letting war movies be action movies. They had to be very serious. I mean, everything post... Um, Saving Private Ryan had to be very realistic, very um, dead serious. And to take an action tone with it, which it seems to be okay now. I seem to see a lot of like direct-to-video action movies that are set in, you know, because of video games like Call of Duty and stuff like that has made it acceptable. But at this time, maybe that was the knee-jerk reaction. Or maybe people just, people are very like hot-cold with Nicolas Cage. They're really cold with him right now. But there are times when people are like, yep, completely on board with this. Whatever it is, we're on board. 
Uh, yeah, I think how- actually that might have been around the time where they started getting off the the Nick Cage boat. Yeah, well, after this, right after this is when he did um, uh, National Treasure, which is his biggest hit. So it's kind of strange. That's his biggest. His biggest hit is National Treasure. I believe so. I think totally, like two hundred twenty-five million. That's or something pretty like that. cool. That's silly. The director of National Treasure also directed uh, some Barbarian Brothers movie. No kidding. No kidding. I think it's the one where they're truckers. Oh, are you talking about John Turtleshaw? Yeah. Oh wow, who ended up doing I think three ninjas. Hmm. I don't know. I, he is one of those. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you know the Barbarian twins, right? The yeah, Barbarian yeah. Brothers. Uh, they were the wrestlers, and they did that uh, Italian the Barbarians movie. And I know they did Twin yeah. Sitters, and then um, uh, there's some movie in the middle there where they're like Repo Man or something. I can't. That's remember. the one. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. So to me, I don't. I, I always find that funny when when a director starts with really terrible movies, like just not not even like like Sam Raimi started with pretty good. Um, because of inventiveness, but yeah. still schlocky, right? He his stuff has this creative um, magic. That's what the word is, magic. But uh, when a director like uh, what's his name, Martin, whatever, who did the James Bond movies, Martin Campbell, right? He started with really crappy crap, like Eskimo Nell. That's a an adult film from the seventies, and it's crap. I've never heard That's of it. where he started. Yeah. The first Don't thing I ever bother. saw that he did was cast a deadly spell on HBO. That's the uh that's the HP Lovecraft's um detective right. thing with Fred Ward. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't remember anything before that. I guess yeah, he must have done a lot of movies over in New Zealand or something like that or England cuz I don't remember anything prior to that movie. Yeah, yeah he, he did he did stuff in the 70s too. Like okay. he did it like Eskimo Nell is an adult film. But my point is when they start really, or, or like Wes Craven, he's he's done adult movies, but not to equate adult movies. Adult movies are typically trash anyway, but um, not to equate that with the regular dumb trash that came out in the eighties or early nineties, like those Barbarian Brothers movies. There's a lot of affection for those things, but they're still garbage. Yeah, as far as quality goes. There's some garbage movies that I'm a fan of, and I have no idea, really. Like, there's something in my brain somewhere that connects to it, and I don't know why I've seen Biodome so many times. <laughs> because you were really wanting a Bill and Ted 3, and it wasn't happening. Maybe that's it. All right, so, so back you to... Had to- you had to accept the substitute. I highly suggest Wind Talkers. It's not a dead serious World War Two movie. The if plot... you like war movies, it's adequate, and it, it takes a different angle. Uh, it, you know, using the Native American angle with it is something that you really haven't seen in a World War Two movie. So that's all I can really say about it. It's easy to find. Oh well, too. hold on, hold on. Native American thing is for the for the viewers out there who are not watching but listening. The the Native American code breakers and code talkers so that they could get um, messages to and from um, wherever they needed without the uh, enemy eavesdropping and figuring it out. So they used a language that they absolutely could not understand, which was the Native American stuff. So. Oh, and Christian Slater's in it. I forgot. Christian Slater, All right. his last major roles. Well, he's not the star of it, but it's one of his biggest movies, like towards the end of his... God, it's terrible that we're saying this, because he still should be an A-lister. I, I love Christian Slater, and I still do. Yeah, it's just he needs bigger roles. There's a lot of the stuff, like, he's the TV shows aren't taking off, the direct-to-video stuff isn't really working. He needs, 
I don't know why people. He's another actor. I don't understand why people turned on. Maybe it was the uh, alcohol problem in the nineties. Yeah, but if we're going to forgive, gonna forgive Robert Downey Jr., then why can't we forgive Christian Slater? You got to give Christian Slater something something awesome to really do. Juicy. Have you ever seen? Yeah. Um, he was a quiet man. Yeah, that's one of his best performances. He totally just immerses himself in that, and that movie made like a thousand dollars in theaters. <laughs> uh, Have you seen Alone in the Dark? Yes. Don't. I know. Don't talk about it. It's no. stupid bullshit. That so. hurts. That looks like that was definitely a paycheck. No, that was. But he's like, uh, I saw some some interview with him on it saying like it was his most fun that he's ever had while making a movie. Maybe. It doesn't mean uh, having fun on a movie set doesn't mean it's a good movie and vice versa. <laughs> right. Seriously. You got that right. All right. 19, I think we're going to have to skip through because I've never even heard of it. The Nutcracker in 3D. It cost $90 uh, million. Dollars. I've never heard year. of it. Year. What's, uh, what's 2010. I heard of it. I think it was just one of those things that uh, like a Broadway sort of thing, highly special affected with the camera. $90 so million? Dollars? Yeah. I'd love to click on it, but for some reason my internet's not working. <laughs> I want to find out who's in it. No, All right. No, forget it. Forget All it. Nutcracker is Nutcracker. Andrew. Giant mice. Oh, it's from what? the director of Runaway Train. And it has Elle Fanning and John Turturro and Nathan Lane. That's it. The Nutcracker? Yeah. And Giant Mice. Maybe. All right. Usually so does. back to the list. Number 18, Supernova. <laughs> Supernova, another troubled project. Seriously troubled. Walter Hill was the director of Three this. different directors, actually. Really? Who was the third? Because I know Coppola uh, stepped in. Coppola stepped in. Walter Hill, I think three. I don't know. Click it. Because I, I think, well, no, I think what it is is Walter Hill took his name off and used like a fake name. So that's why, oh, Tom, a, Thomas Lee. You know, that's the very first Thomas Lee movie. Thomas Lee replaced Alan Smithy. Right. And so the, that's know, the very first. They, they, uh, what is it the DGA said? Well, Alan Smithy had been used too much. And plus, that was right after they did that movie, Alan Smithy film, Burn, Hollywood, Burn. Yeah. Which, ironically, was so, so terrible that it was also that, directed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> seriously, unironically directed by, um, which is ironic. So uh, I don't, I do not remember the plot of Supernova at all. I do remember. Okay, here's, here's what it is. Here's what it is. Super sexy James Spader back when he was super sexy. Really super ripped. Muscular. I remember he was like totally just... Yeah. He's he's uh, new on board this uh, by this vessel, some spaceship sort of thing. It's also around the same t- uh, shortly after Event Horizon came out. Um, <clears throat> Event Horizon Superior, uh, but it's a similar concept. Uh, they got to go rescue some. They get a beacon. They hear some beacon things, so they got to go rescue something. So it's got Robin Tooney, um, who's the, she's a strange character. And this, because sci-fi is one of the only genres uh, where you can have strong ladies, and they're all like required to be strong ladies in sci-fi. If you have right. a lady in sci-fi, she's got to be brilliant and awesome. And Robin Tooney is is playing more of the candy in this. It's really strange. Angela Bassett's in it, being the strong lady. Um, Robert Forster. Oh, always awesome. No he's at the beginning, he's... and he's awesome. He's seriously awesome. He is. He's, like, in control. He's at the beginning, tells everybody, we're going to go do this thing. And then their life pods that they do when they do, a, a, like, a warp jump, one of them malfunctions, and he's the captain, and his malfunctions. And so something happens to him. Anyway, they find this uh, this uh, beacon thing. They 
go down to wherever it is. It's some mining colony thing. And they rescue a dude who's super hot and young. And he plays everybody against each other. And it's just really awkward. And it's Peter Fascinelli doing that. And uh, by the end of the movie, he has like super knuckles. (laughs) Super high cheekbones. Super knuckles. Seriously, he's got these really bony, like, if you get punched by him, you die. Um, Knuckles. But... The whole movie itself, because it was handed between people so many times and troubled, uh, it's hard to make up make what to make of it. Yeah, I just remember it, being really it, cold. I just didn't know what to feel at all. I fall asleep to the thing. Sometimes I put movies on just to lull me to sleep. It's one of those. And it's not necessarily boring, but it's not necessarily not boring either. There's a, a lot going on for it to not be boring as far as action, movement, camera movement, and sounds. But it's also, yeah, I always end up missing the last part, I, the it, last act. I think it's strange they even hired Walter Hill. I don't know if it's because, I don't remember him ever directing a sci-fi movie, but I know he produced Alien, so maybe that's why. I don't know. Maybe. And then Coppola stepped in or whatever. And yeah, it's just one of those movies that's kind of a mess. I didn't really take a whole lot from. I'm not going to say it's god-awful garbage, but yeah, there's a reason why I lost so much money. They hey, Shout, Shout just put it out, or is putting it out. Really? Shout Factory. I did not know yeah, that. Like a Blu-ray of it. <gasps> so, All right. It's, it's warranted that, I guess. Well, Shout Factory, sometimes they reach a little far into the bins. For stuff that they feel like is worth, you know, adding all these extra features to. You're like, eh, no, there's better movies out they there. They should do. They should do Red Planet. They should totally. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see where we at. Seventeen. Give me to and... do a cover for it. I'll do a cover. Oh for yeah, it. Oh, nice. I would want to. Yeah. Town and Country is number seventeen. Never seen it. Town and Country is with Meryl Streep. Uh, I know it's Warren Beatty, uh, Goldie Hawn, Goldie Hawn, Gary Shandling. Uh, Not Meryl Streep. No, uh, Josh Hartnett. I don't remember who the second woman is. I think maybe Susan Sarandon, or maybe you're right. Maybe it's Meryl Streep, but I doubt it. Um, I want to just click on it and look. Um, But it's one of those movies that I remember. I used to get Hollywood Reporter every week. I was so obsessed with like that world. Still kind of am. But I want to know every production that was you know currently being filmed. Like before everybody else, I seemed like a lot cooler. And um, it was that like was a, your motivation. Yeah, I was a dork. Seriously, I was like, oh yeah. yeah so this actor's doing this movie. <laughs> you know that kind of lameness. Quick digression. I had a friend in high school who would always try to do that with me, and I didn't care. I didn't care about one upping anybody. I just always had the information. Yeah. For no good reason. No good reason. I'm just like a stupid sponge of movie trivia junk. Um, and he would always come up and he'd go, who did you know about like Back to the Future 3? And like, yeah. And I would know exactly what he's saying. I would finish his sentence and he'd be like, oh, every time. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of exaggerating. I wasn't really rubbing people's face, but I just really wanted to know what was being made beforehand. And I remember Town and Country was in production in spring of 97 and maybe even 96. I can't remember, but it, it sat around for so long. Uh, the, it was a disastrous production and they kept having to delay things and, and uh you know like every year they'd come back for like a week or two to film something with warren Beatty, and then go back and and put it like in like cryostasis or something and then shoot again for it, another couple weeks and is it it's is a, it a light comedy yeah drama it, farce I, I, what is it i really don't remember what it is i think warren Beatty is like you know a lothario and he's cheating on diane keaton and goldie hawn and they're rich and they're pretty and that's all it, I, that's all i know about it. i've never seen it so i have this question this is why it failed 
two also. It came out in the late nineties, right? Two thousand one. Late. It got two thousand one. So years. it was made in the late nineties, two thousand one. Okay, so it came out in this era where people started getting really tired of those types of movies in the theater. Yeah. Because the audiences are more into fantastic nostalgia because the 80s, some of the 70s, but most of the 80s just went bonkers with all this nostalgia, not nostalgia, with all these cartoons and concepts and craziness. And we didn't have a lot of that in the 90s. Unless you count Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a cartoon, but that also happened in the 80s. Right. So, so all that stuff and what we currently have in our culture, pop culture, is this fanaticism towards this nostalgia for this bonkers stuff, which is where we get our nerds and geeks and Comic-Cons and so on from. All this drive. That's why we have bronies, I'm <laughs> assuming. But uh, the, those audiences were just building around 2001. That type of audience was building. And they do not want necessarily to watch Bishop's Wife or something. Right. Well, I also have to say, if you look at the cast, they were all at the end of their runs. You know, uh, Diane Keaton was Pastor Prime, so Holy Hall. it's your grandma. It's your grandma or 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 grandpa's. You know, I remember one BD. I'll take my my wife used to like her. Tim, that's a terrible old man. Yeah, but um, yeah, I just don't think that that kind of movie has any place. Like now, now the adults really want to see something like Gone Girl. They don't want to see something like that. No, and I would say it. It seems uh, there might be a thing with Gary Shanley too. If you start, if you think about it, Gary Shanley's always been like a comic nerd kind of person. He's never been really mainstream. He's always had stuff that like a very small, dedicated audience is into. Right. But when it comes to movies, yeah, I mean, he only did like two or three movies as one of the main characters, and they all bombed. Hail Hydra. What's that? Hail Hydra. Oh yeah, <laughs> he does not look That's well. That's what he's known. For. Am I wrong? Does he not look well? Well, not it's not well. It's just aged. His hair is falling out. I don't know. It's it just, just looks aged. so strange. Because he's he was he was older when we were kids. Yeah, I so. guess. Anyway, uh, that's, that's yeah. I have nothing else to say about Town and Country. I've never seen it. If you want to see it, I'm sure it's out there somewhere. Number sixteen, Treasure Planet. Joey Gordon Levitt. Uh, yeah, that's right. The Disney movie, right? Two thousand two. Yeah. Yes, of course. You know, I don't... I met him. I met him at a Weezer show. No kidding. That's... I have a I have a photo of him and me. I'm wearing my Twin Peaks shirt, and uh, we're pumping the metal sign for no good reason because neither of us are metal. And <laughs> oh. he's really short. I had previously met Larissa Olenek at another Weezer show earlier that month, and I was like, "Hey, I met Larissa Olenek. Uh, got a photo with her. A little photo with you." It was really dumb, and then no conversation. He's like, "All right." She's the one from Third Rock, right? His girlfriend. Not Third Rock. Who am I talking about oh. then? Or th- uh, Thirty uh, Third Rock from the Sun. No. No? No. Who well, you? maybe she was in that show, but 10 Things I Hate About You, and he was trying to get with her in 10 Things I Hate oh, About You. Oh, you know what? You. No, I'm pretty sure she was on th- uh, as his girlfriend in the show, and that's right. I forgot she's in the movie, too. Okay, so 10 Things is what I know about uh, her from, and uh, what? The that's Magical Life of Alex Mack on Nickelodeon or something, where uh-huh. she was magic. So when I met her, we were just poking fun at her about the magic stuff, like acting like it was real. Can you stop time? Can you do this? Can you do that? 
They actually so. went over well. No, well, she was laughing along with it, and Alex Greenwald, who's also an actor, but he's in the band Phantom Planet, came over, and he was, he's, like, eyeballing me, and he's like, these guys bugging you? And she's like, no. Uh. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, anyway, that's dropping names with yeah. Andrew Bird. Uh, I just dropped some names. Hold on, i got to pick something up. <laughs> just dropped some names. Don't trip. Uh, Treasure so, Planet, so, yeah, I, Treasure Planet, boring, dull. Yeah, I don't remember it. I, I remember can't, the visual part. Can't get into it. Yeah? Mm. No, not even. It's a 2D animated film by Disney, and it was one of their last non-singing movies. Or maybe their last, not, what, Sweat and Bullets come out after that? Yeah. What's Sweat and uh, Bullets? The one with the bull. Oh, Home on the Range? Yeah, Home on the Range was called Sweat and Bullets. Where? Originally. Oh, okay. Original working title. Um, you know, Sorry. The, I gotta say, that was the period when Disney was really having a rough time. Like, uh, Atlantis was the first big disappointment, I think. Hercules didn't do that well, but, you know, uh, it, it started to just take a slow... I mean, yeah, Lion King was so big, and then Pocahontas, not so much. Hunchback, not so much. Hercules, not so much. But then it was this one, and Atlantis were like, oh, we're in trouble. We have lost money on this. A lot of money. Well, at the same time, didn't Titan AE come out? That's right. And also, which was also dumb. And, and I, I like, I, it's Don Bluth. Titan AE is Don Bluth. I bought the DVD. I like dumb movies. I watched it. But then, I, it's hard to rewatch. <sighs> and I don't think I even made it through the uh, Treasure Island. Yeah, I don't remember anything. So I guess there's that. I'm sure someone's a huge fan because there was a sequel, I think, a direct video sequel, and it did make. $109 million, Whoa. so there's got to be some fans. Huh. Want to move on? Yeah. Okay. 15, Evan Almighty. I enjoyed it. $175 million, the most expensive comedy, I think, yeah, ever. I don't see another one higher than that on this list. Was but, that also Tom Chadiak? Yep, that was his last movie before he ditched everything and like lives in the middle of nowhere now and... Well, I think he's doing. He's cutting documentaries. I think. Oh, okay. Because I know he's. But not... you don't. You don't really have to shoot stuff for documentaries if you're doing it a certain way. Anyway, um, that movie. Why did it cost so much? Special effects. Just so many special effects. I mean, all of those animals, and you know, the of course, the when it actually floods and the Blood. ship itself. It's just so much. And I think there was a lot of delays in production because of the animal problems. So they had to go back in and digitally alter a lot of stuff. But that does seem hmm. really, really high. I mean, that's the same cost as Waterworld. What's up with movies and water <laughs> costing so much money? Water is expensive. Water is not something that you can renew. I know. It's just I was thinking, like, some of the movies didn't it's cost... It's very money. wasteful, so... To use to use water in movies is extremely wasteful. Are we talking on, the, on set or just out in the ocean? Oh, on set, set, okay. set stuff. I mean, you should. I'm, I'm. I hope they have systems set up so the water gets pumped back in and recycled and purified and stuff. But uh, it doesn't seem that way. Like, um, like they're constantly even, just refilling it up again. Yeah. It, well, it, or it just sits there and gets gross. Yeah. Well, with Evan Almighty though, I believe a lot of it's going to be CGI, which CGI water is also not cheap because you got to make it look as real as possible. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that was a fun movie for what it was, yeah. the sequel to it's not Bruce the, Almighty. It is not the same as Bruce Almighty. It's the same world, but not the same tone. And maybe that no. threw some people off? 
Yeah. It still made 173 million worldwide. It's just I think the production costs and advertising to try to make up. Sometimes they go overboard with the advertising. I don't know why they feel like they need to pound it into your skull until you don't want to see it anymore. Right. Um, number fourteen, another water movie, Cutthroat Island. Back when pirate oh, movies were not how cool. I wish that movie was good. I remember because it's tri- not. They tried so hard to find a leading man. They went to like every it's- single person possible. They almost got Michael Douglas, and then they ended up with Matthew Modine. Nothing wrong, particularly with Matthew Modine, but a hundred million dollar movie, and he's the male lead. Yeah, yeah. You know what though? He did a, he did a really good workman job on that. Yeah, he it's just he's brought not- the energy, brought the expression, and all that. It's still yet. Do you really see Matthew Modine as a swashbuckler? No, no. Nope. Even while he's swashing the buckle, <laughs> no, no, not really. And that's sad because he did a really good job for him. Yeah, and they say that pirate movies. They were trying to blame it on the fact that pirate movies just weren't popular at the time. I don't think that's it. Any movie can come back if it's a good movie. It doesn't matter what genre pirate movies it is. were popular in the fifties and the sixth part of the sixties, but. Well, maybe just the 50s. And they weren't popular ever since then until the Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, so I don't but know. That's, it could be the genre. That, I, I doubt it, though. I, I uh, credit Pirates of the Caribbean not just to Johnny Depp. That's the name that everybody wants to look at. But Gore Verbinski is really great at directing just about anything. Yeah. So that's why the Pirates movies, Pirates of the Caribbean movies are successful. But Rennie Harlan... He didn't have that handle, even though he handles a lot of stuff very well visually. He just, it was just a traditional swashbuckler. Didn't have the visual oomph you need. Right. Well, he's more, he's better with the action sequences in not so much creating a world. Though, I gotta say this. Um, he directs Frank Langella. Actually, you know what? He, Frank Langella is probably good enough that he didn't need any direction. He is a seriously great villain in that movie. Sure. What's his name? Mad Dog or something? Uh, I think so. I haven't seen it in a while. But um, right. th- yes, that's but- another one I used to own. I used to own it, so I'm talking a little poop about it. But I used to own it, so I don't hate it. Yeah, this movie nearly buried MGM, but it definitely buried Carol Code. Do you remember that company? Yep. Yeah, that was like I think the very last movie. Showgirls did horrible and lost a lot of money for them, and then this was the nail in the hammer. Nail right. in the coffin. What? In the coffin. I was saying nail, nail in the coffin. Nail and the hammer. And nail and the hammer. I yeah. thought you said in the hammer, and that would make no sense. No. Okay. Um, I misheard. Uh, where are we at? Green Lantern, number 13. <clears throat> now, Green Lantern, why is everybody pooping on Green Lantern except that it's stupid anyway because it's DC? Oh, everybody hates me now. Yeah, I kind of like DC Comics, even though it's it's a lot sillier in its like look and style <sighs> than. It's it's a lot it's old fashioned compared to Marvel, but I, I like I like the old fashioned a little bit for a second about DC Comics. Go ahead. I'm now forty. I want my movies regarding DC to be a lot more like Marvel. Everything is pretty solid and grounded in Marvel, even though it's fantastic and stupid. It is. It's fantastic and stupid. It's a superhero movie, but they figured out a way to make it not so heavy. Now with with uh, Green Lantern, they really tried for a moment to make it not so heavy. And then suddenly, halfway through the movie, it's a rudderless film. Well, I think it's You have it's... Ryan Reynolds being quippy, but then you have a, a serious villain and 
even more serious villain. And it's just, I, did they rush the film or something? I think they did. And I think they also kind of lost their footing along the way. I, if you look at the people involved, it really makes no sense why it bombed so bad. The writer's great. Martin Campbell's the director who's always handled, you know, the special effects action heavy movies very well. He, he's also a workman director. He's not a style director. No, but the movie he, might, but need he, does, a, he might does, have needed some style. He does very well. And <clears throat> I think the 3D was terrible. In fact, I forgot that it was even in 3D. Um, about I didn't see through. it in 3D. And what was, I didn't see it in theater. Oh, okay. I saw it in the theater, and my problem was it was very flat visually. Um, something so amazing as Green Lantern should really pop. The 3D was terrible, and Ryan Reynolds should not be Hal Jordan. He should be Kyle Rayner, which is more the style and here's the thing a lot of people had problems with the tools that green lantern would create to fight back hal jordan was very simple he wasn't very creative and artistic with what he was trying to create in his mind he was very straightforward simple and a lot of people were Mm -hmm. like that's all you can do but he was not kyle kyle was an artist and he would come up with these crazy honking designs and he had who's the dude with the bowl haircut uh uh oh my god Guy... guy gardner Dumb. Sorry. Go. Yeah, if they had Guy Gardner, it would have been a much different movie to watch a tool going around being the hero. <laughs> um, And the fact that the villain that uh, Peter Sarsgaard... Did I say that right? Peter Sarsgaard? Uh, I think it's Sarsgaard. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's Skarsgård. Skarsgård's the other guys. Um, Stalin. Stalin yeah. and Sons. That's right. Um, yeah, Peter, his villain has no oomph, no, uh, you know, he's just so flat, and he's not the It's best. flat, but it's it's also portrayed, actually, as the serious, so heavy part, but it's it's not like he's, uh, it's not like Al Pacino doing that sort of villain. No, but it's also it's, the wrong villain, too. You have, you have, almost, he almost feels like, you know how in a TV series, you're working your way towards the big bad at the end of the season? Yeah, he feels like that middle villain, and I don't know why we're wasting that time on this villain if he doesn't really. You want to get to Sinestro, right? Yeah, or Sinestro, or you know, get to Parallax. Parallax. Why is he called Parallax? Does anybody not know what Parallax? You know what? At one time, I knew. I thought it was. I think it was the name of like a demon or an alien or something. That was the name of the alien. I can't remember now. I read it like ten years ago. It's it's the name of the alien. That thing is called Parallax. But what our Parallax is, and this might be pretentious to some people out there is uh, when you're looking at something, it's the movement between the Im- between the things that you're looking at. So, like, you're looking at a mountain range, but the stuff in the foreground moves, and the mountain range doesn't. That's what parallax like is? When, that's what parallax is. No kidding. <clears throat> yeah. So I don't know why it's called parallax. <clears throat> yeah, that's that just is... me. This is me griping about DC stuff. Yeah, you so know, I, I know don't that. have too much of a problem with the Superman movie, huh? Go figure. Yeah. All right. So number twelve, the Alamo with Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton. I really didn't see it, but that's another one of those epic westerns that I get bored about. Give me three ten to Yuma, which is perfect. Give me uh, Quick and the Dead, which is imperfect but pretty darn good. Why well, think? Don't give me these big. Things Very expensive boring. westerns are always unsuccessful. I've never seen a. Uh, um, a movie like cost more than fifty million dollars be successful. If you look at the history, spending three hours, tons of money, huge cast, and never works out. You got to make these. Mm-hmm. Things, you got to make these things tight, like 25, 30 million, Make them pop. Make them. Uh, 
uh, have a lot of energy. You don't need A-listers because people who are fans of Westerns are the same way it is with uh, horror movies. It's not about the star. It's not about the money so much. It's just give, entertain them. Just mm-hmm. but, but the Alamo is also a story that should be told, and it's not a cheap story to be told. Uh, I, I like the movie, but at the same time, I was like, oh, this is a lot of extra stuff we probably didn't need. They could have cut it down. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I was saying before in the last podcast, some of these movies absorb the cost of pre-production. And the Alamo was ready to go for... Here's the weird thing is, I don't understand why... It says here the Alamo cost $107 million, But I remember Ron Howard and... Uh, crap. Who's the star of Gladiator again? Why am I... Uh, uh, Russell, Russell Crowe. Crow. Why did I do that? I hate that. Russell Crowe were the director and star of it, and they let them go because the budget was too high. So that's why they hired John Lee Hooker, who had done The Rookie, and Dennis Quaid, who were both a lot, lot cheaper. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, look at the cost, $107 million. What was it going to cost with Russell Crowe and Ron Howard in their peaks? That would have been like $150 right. million. But they probably absorbed some of the cost because they had to pay them off to leave the project. Yeah, probably. But other than that, there's nothing really special to say. It's an adequate movie. It's, it is what it is. If you like really in-depth westerns, if you encounter a western or a war movie, I'm not sure what you would count it as. Historical uh, war movie. Yeah. So, I mean, there, it, it's there. Well, Watch it. It's not terrible. But the next movie is pretty terrible. Legendary. What is it? The Adventures of Pluto Nash. All right. Hey, I haven't seen it. Um, I've seen clips of it. I've wanted to see it. I know it looks terrible. Um, it's way too cartoony. It's way too 90s looking for when it came out. Yeah. And it's Eddie Murphy. I know. Oh, it's the kind of like, you know, how Son of the Mask production value looked. Right, that kind, that kind of, that I, I, it doesn't even look lived in. Oh, okay, so That's, it's like all. Oh, this is all just fabricated yesterday. Yeah, it's all it's all fakey life, fakey real life, you know. Uh, so. That's what Pluto Nash looked like to me, but I can handle it with that. I can't handle it with the Son of the Mask. That's on Earth. Yeah. I'm supposed to relate to that. Um, but Pluto Nash looked okay as far as silly space caper thing, but I know that it's dumb and trash. But why? Why would that movie get so? Like, why would they even? What's the point of that movie? Um, honestly, I don't even remember it now. That's one of those movies that's so forgettable. I, I, if I remember correctly, Eddie Murphy is like uh, an adventurer who gets hired to do some sort of task. I mean, it's so generic. He's like, I think uh, Randy Quaid is his robot sidekick, and yeah, he's Jay a robot. Moore, big. I think Jay Moore is a villain, and it's got Rosario Dawson. It's got a pretty solid cast, even though they're not all A-listers. But it's one of those yeah. things that I think it was just had no energy whatsoever, and they kept having to re-edit and reshoot, re-edit, reshoot, and try to get something going, and it never ever happened. Which is surprising because Ron Underwood is a guy that could handle comedy, action, and keep things going. Cause he What's he done? He did Tremors. He oh. Did, I mean, it's, and none of that energy is there whatsoever. I get the feeling that... So it seems like he was being... That, then if that sort of thing happens, either he doesn't have a handle on the material or the material keeps changing. Yeah, I mean, well, Eddie Murphy's the big name there, and he usually has control of his productions. So maybe he just kept altering it. And sometimes directors with not a lot of power get cast aside. Like they're just they're just there to go action and that's it. And yeah. 
So Eddie Murphy being the big draw there is no was not a big draw at the point. No, and, and Rex, you watch it hasn't been years. It's the same energy that he had in Beverly Hills Cop Three, where he looks like he does not want to be there whatsoever. He is literally uh, just saying his dialogue, smiling and moving the on. Same as the um, the haunted haunted mansion, which I've never seen. Uh, it's on Netflix. You can try it. <laughs> I try. say try because <laughs> because fifteen minutes into the movie and you're like, no, I'm just not. No, because the casting feeling it, because it's cliche plot line and all this stupid junk. But I will say something great about an Eddie Murphy movie, <sighs> an alternative to this. It's called Starship Dave. That's the original title. You know what, Meet I Dave. Like, I like that movie a lot. So funny, so good, so right, so original, so great. And, and it did nothing. And it got it. It also is a turkey, but it's good it's really solid good fun yeah it was co-written by bill corbett one of the cast members and writers of mystery science theater 3000 oh it has that kind of odd tone to it which is not in pluto nash pluto nash feels like a sitcom in space if that ah that that might be a big problem unless you like big bang theory yeah nobody nobody is has a a longer folk i don't even know what the word i'm looking for but the whole thing feels like just segments. Like, you know how some road comedies are great because it's broken up into little tales that get to the point where they're going? It kind of yeah. feels like that, but there's no real destination. So all these little segments go nowhere. They just kind of hang and go away. That's it. And it's not a road movie. No. Um, the funny thing It's is, not Motorama. There is a podcast called How Did This Get Made where they talk about this movie. Yeah, it's probably, yeah. It's probably the funniest episode they've done. It's It's truly bizarre when they really break this movie down and analyze it. So seek that out, kids. Yeah. Uh, number ten, stealth. From uh, it's uh, all right. It's um, Macross Plus, basically. Yeah, it's from W. D. Richter, who did Buckaroo Banzai and Big Trouble in Little China. And he should have done Buckaroo Banzai too. Yeah, but no one wants uh, to let instead. him do it. Nobody wants to let him do it, and all the people are older. But you can recast and still do a straight sequel. <clears throat> well, it almost became a TV show. He wrote a pilot for Fox, and it went nowhere. Well, I'm glad because Fox would have made it really dumb and bad. But um, stealth, Jamie Foxx is trying to come up as a dude doing these, you know, a name in a movie. It's right after Ray. Jessica Biel and Josh Lucas. We talked about Josh Lucas last time. Yeah, so he's in two movies. Josh Lucas being leading guy in this. Uh, It's all right. It's Rob Cohen, right? Yeah. Um, Fast and Furious, Rob, Rob Cohen. Uh, it's all right. I don't have too much problem with it, except I don't really care. Yeah, I didn't care. I thought Jamie Foxx was annoying, so when he died, I was kind of like, uh, I hate it. This sound, I don't want it to sound like wrong, but whenever they take a character and they purposely make him black, black, you know, like hip, you know, it's like, okay. could you just let Jamie Foxx be Jamie Foxx? Why do you have to like right. urban it up? And uh, I hate it when they do that. I don't know if it's his choice or the writer's choice. I was just... Hey, well, well let, me, let me tell you. Uh, Will Smith has his own writer. Really? Yeah, so what happens is Will Smith has a, a writer for his dialogue. He reads a script and he says, yes, 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 this is a great script. But if I'm playing it, I wouldn't say it like that. So he has his writer write his dialogue. But isn't he an actor who's supposed to be a character and not himself? That's that's bugs me. You see, that's right. So he's not. He's just a star. Right. And that's okay. Annoying. So so I mean, I don't think he's going to do that in Ali. 
but he does that with various other movies. Like, <laughs> no, he'll say that instead of no way, man. <laughs> so rewrite it. <laughs> no. Okay. Take 15 of him saying, oh, no, whatever. <laughs> so that might be the case with, with, uh, with Jamie Foxx. I don't know back then if he even had the, that kind of pull to have his own writer <clears throat> for his own character type thing. It might just be the studio typecasting saying, you're a black guy, be a black guy. Yeah, That's how know. black guys are black, right? So I think the cases with uh, a lot of minority actors, they're, they're act, they are really pigeonholed. You should play it this way. I'm the director or the, the producers are pulling, the executive producers, the money people are really pulling for you to be a very specific kind of black. So There's that. Um, you instead know, of just a man who happens to be black. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, honestly, it works. It works super good for the movie if it's written correctly for the movie, like Die Hard 3. Die oh. Hard with a Vengeance. <laughs> Samuel Jackson's written perfectly and appropriately terribly like that, where he hate, hates white guys and he's the angry black man type of guy. Um, maybe not hates white guys, but doesn't trust them, yeah. <laughs> especially cops. <laughs> For good reason, in New York. Seriously. Um, the funny thing is, I found uh, Stealth, Triple X, Stay the Union, and uh, Vertical Limit on like a set for five bucks. Like brand new, five it? bucks. Vertical Limit alone, I love that movie. Okay. So uh, you probably bought it. Back on uh, number nine, Sahara. Sahara, that is um, McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey. I like that movie. That was supposed to be a launch of a big franchise, and my problem yeah, is it's a novel why, series. Why? Why start it at 160 million? You're only dooming yourself to bigger and bigger budgets. You want to launch a franchise? I've always thought you start kind of low, and then as you grow, as the paychecks get higher and the action needs to be more elevated, then you go up to like the 150, 160 million range. It's not Captain America or Thor. It's Sahara. I don't know why it costs so much. Location. There are. They shot on location, so they might have had to pay the country. Maybe. I guess this is like before everybody substituted CGI for everything. Yeah, I don't remember there really being anything bad about the movie. I wasn't like truly excited. It was like, fun. I mean, Steve Zahn is great in it. Like, as a sidekick character, that's that's how you should portray it. I never got into Penelope Cruz, though. I've never. Maybe it's because I have trouble understanding what she's saying, so it's hard for me to like get Shut in. your mouth. What? Penelope. Penelope Cruz is great. <laughs> <laughs> I like saying Penelope. Penelope, I got that from Club Dread. There's a girl named Penelope in there, and there's a Hispanic uh, character who says Penelope. Well, I don't remember that movie at all. <laughs> Club Dread's great, and I probably should have mentioned it during the Halloween show, but Club Dread, the unrated edition, is great. All right. It's a Broken Lizard movie. Yeah. It's a slasher film it's that just, isn't, it's a comedy at the same time as being a legitimate slasher. And it's really ridiculous, but it's an acquired taste of ridiculous. Yeah, Sahara, it's one of those things that just instantly killed a franchise. I remember they were suing Clive Clive Cussler Cussler. um, because they said that he uh, elevated the amount of sales of his books. Like, oh, you said they sold 100 million million copies a year, you know, and you're only actually selling 30 million copies. And they're trying to say that's why the movie bombed. And I'm like, yeah, movie, movies kind of live and die on their own. Sometimes they don't really matter if they're based on a book. If I, don't, I haven't seen it since I saw it, okay? But, and that was shortly after it came out on DVD or something. 
if I remember correctly, the, the film still has a pretty good visual sense. You know how certain eras, so this is the mid-double-aughts, right? Right, 2005. So, 2005, okay. So certain eras have a visual style or like a few, uh, a handful of visual styles. And then you move on and you get bigger and different whatever visual styles. And you can tell by the era. So that looks like it's 2005 or that looks like it's 1990. That looks like it's 85. <clears throat> I don't know if I don't, in memory, I don't think it looks like it. it I think it kind of looks like it could be made at any era. After the nineties, well, like good. a movie, when a movie right. is timeless, it helps. You know, they don't. I, I well, I didn't want to say timeless because timeless is is maybe a little bit different. Maybe people might misunderstand. I'm just talking visually. I don't remember it not being. It had enough style, but I don't remember it being uh, super particular. But it, it still had big sweeping styles, um, camera work and stuff. My point that I'm trying to make is. If that was made now with Matthew McConaughey, it would probably win because of his pedigree now. Yeah. He, he somehow got it, not necessarily back, because maybe he didn't have it exactly to the degree that he does now, but somehow got it to this point where I think he could make a bunch of silly stuff now and get away with it. Not to say that that movie's silly, it's just an action-adventure film. Akin to an Indiana Jones sort of thing. Right. It's almost like a, a, our generation's version of that that style. Yeah. High adventure. That's it. Cliffhanger That's the style. phrase. High adventure is the phrase. All right. That's it. Number eight, Jack the Giant Slayer. I just actually watched no. this a couple months ago. It's not that bad, but man, nothing. When movies sit around too long, I think people get a sense that it stinks. Like, I saw a trailer a year and a half before it was actually released. That's a long, long time to, like, whatever happened to that movie kind of thing. My problem with the film, why don't they just cast big people? Oh. Oh, why don't they just cast big people and do foreshortening and do force perspective, I mean. Foreshortening is an illustration thing. Uh, why don't they just do force perspective stuff? Use CG, integrate a real dude as the giant. Uh, you really do the physical stuff, not just mocap a guy in a ping pong suit and then put this ugly, terrible. I, I'm sorry, the people who make this stuff and design this stuff, they're hired to do it in a certain way. And they narrow it down to what the director wants. Their craft, their work is not terrible, but what the director wants might be. And in this case, I think what the director wanted in the giant's faces and the physiques was pretty terrible and ugly. And I think that's one of the reasons why not a lot of people went and saw it, because they showcased that a lot in the trailers. And and I'll just tell you this, it's it's a, a boy adventure. It's not a girl adventure. So boys doing adventures in which if you replace the boy character with a girl character ladies are going to want to come out in droves. That is not sexism. That is demographics. Yeah. Ladies love the strong little ladies kicking butt against giant giants or adversity and stuff. So that's why Disney does all their princess stuff that way. But this is with a boy, and it's a fairy tale. Fairy tales don't resonate too well with boys anyway. You remember how we talked about that curse 
like where if uh, you know certain director, an actor will show up, it almost feels like the movie's going to tank, like the way it was with Hugo. Um, uh, I have this thing with um, Ewan McGregor lately. Like ever since he left the Star Wars franchise, it seems like everything he's connected to tanks. I, I, if it's like this weird, it's not so much him, but it just seems like almost everything he's connected to somehow people are like, nah, that's okay. I'm not going to go see you and McGregor. And, you know, internationally, they always do well. He's a huge star overseas, but here, not so much. What was that movie, The Impossible? You know, that made like $2 million here, but it made like $180 million overseas. Same thing with Jack the Giant Slayer. I think it only made like $60 million here, but it made like another 150 overseas. He's... He's one of those guys that resonates overseas, just not in America. And I have no idea why, because we all loved him as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, did we? Did we really? Oh, I did. Because I loved him. I loved him as Renton, and that's about it, honestly. Oh. Train Spotting is one of my favorite movies. And um, from there, he was going to be a huge star in America with The Beach. And then the studio didn't want him to be in The Beach, because who's that guy? We want Leonardo DiCaprio, because... He's an up-and-comer, just straight off of Basketball Diaries, uh, which was a modest but a hit uh, for them. Wait, so, no, no, no. The Beach came out three years after Titanic. That's yeah, why. okay, well, that's why. Yeah. Sorry, Titanic. I keep forgetting Titanic because I've never seen Titanic. What? You're right. Yeah, I've never seen Titanic, and I don't want to. It's one of those things, one of my, uh, like, Top Gun, if I say, I've never seen Top Gun. Most of the time, people get offended or sound like they're offended. <laughs> You're not American if you haven't seen Top Gun. People think it's weird that I've seen Iron Eagle probably 50 times more than I've ever seen Top Gun. I've seen Iron Eagle plenty as well. Back in the day, it was on cable a lot. Watch that. During the summer, it was on. But Top Gun, no. When it came out, I was a little boy. I was 13 or so, and my peers, the girls, were all getting their budding sexuality happening, and they were all talking a Twitter, if you will, before Twitter, <laughs> about how dreamy Tom Cruise was. And I was like, what? Because I wasn't even interested in, in like sex or sexuality at all at that point. I was just a kid. Let me play with my G.I. Joes. So you'd think a plane, fighter plane movie, yay, because Iron Eagle, eh, no, I'm going to refuse to watch Top Gun because that girl is kind of inappropriate right now about it and when it's just army men. So, no. And then when I later said to somebody that I hadn't seen the movie, they <gasps> so I was like, all right, that's my reason now. <laughs> I, had a I changed my reason. I had a roommate in college that would literally watch this every single day. Top Gun? Yes, Top Gun. He would ruin he ruined movies for me. I never really cared for Top Gun. Everybody's crazy about it. I just didn't get into it. Uh, but he would kill that. He would kill Rudy, uh, Kingpin, you know, the one with Woody Harrelson. He would yeah. watch those three movies, like, intermittently, like, watch at least one of them every single day. What the heck? I know. People have that thing. I used to work with someone who literally would watch Star Wars every single day, and she had been doing it ever since it came out on video. She had watched it every single day of her life. That, the first Star Wars? Yeah. It's like some sort of subconscious thing they need. They need that repetition or something. I'm like, I, I can't watch a movie over and over like that. Even I can tell you this. I can watch Dune. I can watch Dune at any point in the day, except uh, I don't have to continue watching it. 
You know what's weird is Ever. missing from this list are a lot of movies from the 80s that were notorious for being flops. I almost feel like, like we need a second edition where we cover stuff like Dune and Flash Gordon and Highlander and stuff that lost a lot sure. of money. All right. But let's finish this list first. Yep. <laughs> uh, Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within. Oh, you mean Ben Affleck is a computer animated guy voiced by Alec Baldwin? Yeah, it's totally Ben Affleck. It's ridiculous how close it looks. He should have sued them. No, no, but you see, your your face isn't as manly yet. <laughs> <laughs> You're still young. We just made you manlier. I actually thought this movie was beautiful to look at, and at the time it blew my mind, like how realistic it looked. Of course, obviously after 15 years it's going to date itself. Yeah. Um, the storyline I could never really get into. It's It seems like it's pretentious. And I know some people. Yeah, it also drops you in on the story without explaining too much. Yeah. And I don't need a movie with the text scrawl saying, it is the year something or other, and there are ghosts of a scorched planet, (laughs) and these ghosts are actually aliens, and they're not ghosts. Or are they? And then there's these Ghostbusters that aren't Ghostbusters. They're looking for ways to make the planet healthy. And I'm telling you the movie, it's just. It's a trudgy film. You gotta trudge through it. It's got some neat looking stuff, but trudge, 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 trudge. The thing that I've never understood is that I I play the Final Fantasy games. How is this and connected? Why, how is this connected? Why didn't they do it? Why didn't they do that? That they just did it by name. That's it. They because eventually they did like Advent Heroes or whatever it was. Advent Children. Yeah, Ad, yeah. Advent Children, and that's the stuff. But that's silly too. I mean. Everybody's haircut is weird. Yeah. But I was talking about re- when I first started relate. playing, it, it was like a sword and sorcery kind of thing. And then they yeah. started slowly moving into like, you know, like almost sword like, and sci-fi. Yeah. But still, I watched this one going, how is this connected? Because I've seen the games. I never played the, the newer versions. Like, you know, once it turned to the sci-fi, I never yeah. got into that. In fact, I don't like games with like, oh, wow, here's another 10 minutes of cutscenes. Why can't I just watch a movie then? You know? Yeah. I, I don't like, I want to play. I want to play. I want to shoot things. I want to destroy. Everybody, things. let him play. Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to sit through tons of story. Like, give me a minute or two at most. But man, those Final Fantasy movies just killed me, or, or uh, yep. games. But that's games. almost like blasphemy to some people who like worship the ground. The hey, the... Uh, hey, George. I was telling you about him off off air. George, my buddy, he plays Final Fantasy stuff still, and I don't get it. But that's all right. That's his thing. Yeah, I mean, some people are... I, mean, I don't I, have to get it. I play a lot of first-person shooters, so some people are sick of that crap, too. So. Yeah, I play Borderlands. Yeah, I'm obsessed fun. with those. Um, where are we at? Number six, John Carter. I have absolutely I no love problem. John Carter. Yeah, I went to the theater, saw it. it. It's. I think the problem with John Carter is, A, it's a generic name. They took out Man of Mars. It's called John Carter, right? Yeah, it's, it's just called, called John Carter. John Carter. The first posters actually had Man of Mars, and they stripped it of that, and so it sounds really generic. I mean, it's it, John Wick, John Carter. It sounds like just a straight up action movie. Who knows what John Carter means? Right, but then you see the trailer, and it's like bon- bonkers and weird, and it has flying things and sandy, and there's skimpy people, skimpily dressed people, and you're like, what? So it it lost on a lot of the audience. It just didn't know what to make of it. Space. I'm not too yeah. keen about the the wraparound with the kid. Yeah. I don't really care. I just don't care. I know that's a way for us to get into the story, but I don't think it's needed, really. But 
He's supposed to be us, the audience, learning about this. Who cares? I don't care. Yeah, it's it's. I just like the movie a lot. Yeah, and space opus movies are kind of touch and go. Some are really, really successful, but for the most part, space opus movies tend not to make a lot of money. I mean, even like they they fail so much. Like we just mentioned Dune for a second. Dune should have been great. Every version of Dune should have been great. Every version of Dune is arguably not great, except I really, really, really love the David Lynch version. Did you watch the documentary? And yeah, I'm not that impressed with it. I was kind of like, David Carradine, that's interesting. That never happened. You know, the soundtrack by Pink Floyd. <laughs> uh, well, that would have been interesting, actually. The um, Pink Floyd soundtrack would have been I, I like the TV something. movie, but it's really, really, really low budget. It could not. It's super low budget. It, and the Children of Dune, they're all super low budget. Everything looks like it's cardboard sets. And yeah. You don't need that, especially if you don't light it right like they did in the early Star Trek cardboard sets. That was lit right and primary colored and silly. If you're gonna do Dune that way, I guess maybe. But yeah, but with sci- they didn't. I think something something's wrong with people. Like they need some sort of access point with sci-fi movies. Like they need a human character. Like they needed Han Solo to get into Star Wars. They needed like with Guardians of the Galaxy. I have not seen it yet, but they needed that thing. Like you know the promos are playing songs that you were familiar with. They were. Uh, they uh, had. Uh, you haven't seen Guardians yet? No, I haven't. Wow. I know. I never go to the movies no. anymore. I'm so sorry. No, it's all, it's all right. You don't have to see it. I I'm wait. just saying, wow, because you're missing out on a treat. You know, while I wait till video, here's the thing is, I got sick and tired of going to the movie theater. I'm sick of sitting through 30 commercials when I can just watch uh. all these trailers online. I'm sick of people on their phone flashing it in my face. I'm tired of uh. old people going, oh, what did he say? You know, I just you get tired of it. I pay all this money. I kind of want to get lost in the movie. I don't want to be taken out of it every five minutes with something. This is why. This is why I don't think I'm going to see Dumb and Dumber two in the theater. Oh, it's going to be all twelve year old kids nonstop yammering with their or or forty year olds just laughing too loud because I'm going to be one of them if if (laughs) if I see it in the theater. I don't want to be too loud for the rest of the people. Have them miss jokes. I don't want them to be loud, so I miss jokes. And I don't even know if it's going to be good. No, so. we have no idea. We'll see, though. The trailers. I've been laughing. I've been laughing at the trailers, but I don't want to watch the trailer anymore. No, they're killing it. Oh, don't watch anything on Hulu because it's exactly every, that's it's my point. Every single commercial. Oh, okay. Apparently, Saturday Night Live yeah. really wants me to put. You know, wants to push Dumb and Dumber. Too. But I digress. Yes, we digress. We got to get. What back is on. the what we were talking about? We were talking about. John Carter still? Yeah, now nah, let's move on. I guess I just to say you, you the, most. Of hey, the John Carter is fantastic. It is, and it should have been. There's no real good reason why it bombed. It's not a critical turkey. It's not, except unless you really have to have the female character be naked, like she is in the book. She is. The story is a little old fashioned in its approach which some people are like oh it's not hip and it's not quippy you know it's 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 pretty straightforward it's and, well the character is also um uh, is he a confederate soldier yes john carter right john carter is a confederate soldier he's not you know um ryan reynolds now so you don't have to have him be a smart aleck speaking of number five r.i.p.d <laughs> wow, I didn't even see the list. Magic. <laughs> that, that was a magic moment. Okay, uh, R.I.P.D. You mean Men in Black yeah, it's, and it's, Ghostbusters? It's the same exact concept. It's based on a comic book, which I never read. I don't know if it's the same tone. Did you? Ever yeah, read? It, it's it's pretty. I've seen the artwork anyway. It's pretty. It's like 
The artwork is derivative of Bruce Tim. Ladies and gentlemen, Bruce Tim is the animation uh, director or overseer of WB animation stuff with DC. He did the uh, Batman the Animated Series. His style is amazing. There. So, the comic has that look to it, but it obviously doesn't look like he drew it. Looks like a guy liked his work and sort of aped it. As an illustrator, I ape a lot of different styles myself, so I'm not insulting. Go. Uh, R.I.P.D., you know, I've seen it a couple of times. You're right, it is a Men in Black clone. Almost almost every beat is the exact same as Men in Black. Like, this is the part where this happens. This is where this happens. You know, it's almost the exact same. I don't hate the movie. I still find it kind of entertaining. I have no idea what Jeff Bridges is saying most of the time. What is, is this something wrong with him? Because it seems like ever since True Grit, every role has him kind of... I think it, he he just has a habit of uh, putting marbles in his mouth. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. I thought he was so clear and coherent. All of a sudden, you're just like, whoa, this is like a normal thing. Have you seen trailers for Seventh Son? I want to see that, man. man that that is, looks great, and, but it also looks it, like it's going to bomb. Yeah, because it's going to be on this list. It's but, been delayed over and over. It was supposed to come out last January. And, yeah, and he's he, he was probably like 47 when he shot it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're they're releasing it the same day as that Wachowski Brothers movie, um, Jupiter Ascending. When are they doing that again? It's like February 7th. February, oh gosh, they don't... Jupiter Ascending was supposed to come out uh, August. Yeah, so both movies got pushed back. And they pushed it back. No, we don't believe in it. Nope. And both movies are going to come out the same day, both costing like $150 million. It's going to be a bloodbath. And why would you go see these movies on Valentine's Day? That's nonsense. Well, I'll tell you why you want to see the Jupiter Ascending on Valentine's Day because it's a strong female lead character and it's a fairy tale rewritten in a sci-fi setting for the boys and some of the girls because girls do dig sci-fi. I know plenty of girls that like sci-fi. Um, it's no white in space. Oh, no, I didn't even notice that. I, the trailers are kind of vague, so I didn't know more about it. I'm just going by the trailer myself. She's a long-lost um, queen of space, I guess, or heir to some sort of corporation that runs the galaxy. And the people who run, who are next in line want to get her killed, but she doesn't know. She's on Earth. So they send a bounty hunter, the Huntsman, a.k.a. Channing Tatum with Vulcan ears, <laughs> down to kill her. And then he's like, no, I don't want to because she's pretty. Because that's that's how you win people over is by beauty only. I don't know if she's a good character or not, but she's supposed to be set up as a strong character. And what? I'm a queen. <laughs> I wish I queen hope of the she galaxy? Said it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do the whole Super movie in that was say what? <laughs> well, gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, R.I.P.D. It's it's one of those almost like another like candy coated nightmare. The special effects look so. I don't know if it was deliberately chosen to be like almost a cartoon. Yeah, there's actually no it, point. It, it does was. it look realistic whatsoever? It, it was. It's it was hard for people to get. Different. I think it's hard for people to get a handle on it because a yes, it is a ripoff of Men in Black. B the special effects are very unusual in a day and age where we expect everything to be completely realistic. When you take like a, a cartoony comic book tone with it, people are like, well, that looks like crap. Well, these are ghosts, and their ghosts are representative of what they were in real life. So if you were uh, a, a, a layabout, lazy, 
chubby guy in real life, you're going to be this corpulent, horrible, blobby dude in your ghost life, I guess. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon is wasted. So wasted. He's just there. It could have been anybody. It could have been Eric Roberts. It didn't matter. Ah, that's funny. Again, no disrespect to Eric Roberts. But he's one of those guys where it seems like the only mainstream roles he gets is, uh, we just need a villain. We don't. He doesn't really have anything to do. He just needs to show up, do his thing, and move. Move on. Eric Roberts, in recent years, has done a really awful Charles Band movie. And I don't even remember it. Just IMDB it and look for the correlation. Charles Band something. <laughs> and it's just terrible. It's supposed to be a ghost movie. And it's shot on somebody's Hollywood mansion. Yeah, when's, about, the la- when's the last time uh, Charles Band uh, did anything noteworthy? It's been not since like Paramount canceled his contract in the 90s for uh, embezzling. Not embezzling. What? He did? Uh, and I don't know if you count embezzling. It's like that thing with franchise pictures where he would tell Paramount he was spending like, oh, I'm going to spend $800,000 on this. You're going to give me $400,000. Oh, that's, that's the asylum system too. The asylum does that. Yeah, but they don't get their money from someone else. Someone else doesn't distribute their stuff, do they? Yeah. Uh, Sci-Fi Channel has a, has a deal oh. with the asylum. Have they been busted uh, on it yet? Uh, I don't know. I was going to say because he got busted because uh, I think the one that really stood out was he shot a movie called Lurking Fear, H.P. Lovecraft. Right. He shot it for $115,000, and he told Paramount that he spent like half a million or whatever, and then he just pocketed the extra 300000 Yeah, that's what the head of Asylum does. Yeah, and then uh, Paramount said, okay, well, guess what? You have no distribution anymore, and that's why the company went completely down the you know down the tubes. Not that they were really high level anyway, but at least they had a few movies here and there. They were like, oh, well, that's an interesting concept. That had decent effects, or at least they had one name actor or director. After yeah. that, it was like, oh, we're, we have $50,000. We're going to make Evil Bong 4. <laughs> or The Return of the Killer Eye. They had a Ginger Dead Man versus the Killer Bong, or Evil Bong. Yeah. That's bot- I don't, I don't like these versus movies. Uh-uh. They're just no. cheap concepts. It's just like, oh, what, what, what franchises do we have that are stagnant that we can put together to try to get a couple extra bucks out of? The only thing that anybody ever demanded and really wanted um, was Jason versus Freddy. Everything after that, uh, Aliens versus Predator. Well, okay, okay. Before before that was like the Universal Monsters meeting. Oh yeah, that's different. So yeah. I mean, that's that's different. That's not a wrestling match. Yeah. That the wrestling match was Freddy versus Jason, and uh, the Predator alien thing well i think it's weird that they create these movies that you didn't even know like existed and they're already versed in each other you're like uh killer croc versus uh cyborg cyber croc you're like uh, i never even heard of either one of them why <laughs> why are they against each other are they looking for rent space i don't understand what's wrong <laughs> shark versus sharknado uh, someday i'm going to get trip defense made i want to see a giant would be funny giant turkey <laughs> shark and after like i don't know <laughs> It's, it's, I wanted, to, I actually it was going to be called Gobble Fins, but I wanted to be more sophisticated, so I went with the trip. Yeah, so trip defense, because trip defense, everybody, makes you sleepy. Turkeys. That brings us back to turkeys. Alright, so. so number four, The Lone Ranger, another very, very expensive western that did not make its money back. You know what's funny? Is Wild Wild West is not on this list, is it? Hmm. I guess not. I don't think I we discussed it. But. That's another one with that with a useless wraparound story, but the movie is great. I would say Johnny Depp's a little phony in a little bit. He feels like he's still kind of playing Jack Sparrow. 
Okay, fine. But, but that might care. but that but might that's not, not why I like it. No, but that that might not be his fault. I mean, he's hired to do a job. They want you to be, hey, you're just going to be this type of still Jack Sparrow. He's like jo- Jonah Hex for a second. Yeah. Compare contracts. Jonah Hex versus the Lone Ranger. Jonah Hex was like blasted. Nobody liked it because it should have been harder. It might have been a rated R movie and it had a great cast and everybody seemed squandered. Uh, it wasn't supernatural or weird enough, but Lone Ranger is. It's weird. Yeah. It's a weird Western. Well, the, the simple fact that Tonto looks that way, it automatically yeah. throws you into a, oh, what's going on here kind of vibe. I love how weird it is. I love how crazy and bizarre and weird it is. Yeah, maybe it's, maybe really it's long in the tooth, but I think the wraparound helps that be too long. Yeah. So, yeah, but... I- uh, I have no problem with the Lone Ranger whatsoever. I actually like every iteration of the Lone Ranger. There was a TV movie that was really good. It's very hard to find. There was Legend of the Lone Ranger with Christopher Lloyd as a villain. That one's okay. Oh, what? I didn't know that. Yeah, nineteen eighty. Um, Christopher Lloyd is a villain in a cowboy movie. Yep. It's it's kind of hard to find. It it is on DVD, but I think it's out of print. So you can probably just find it somewhere, uh, streaming. Maybe uh, the um, guy who played Lone Ranger. Jed? The guy who played Lone Ranger, literally, it's the only movie that he ever did. Oh. And, well, uh, who says you have to do more? Nope. Um, um, yeah, I mean, it's a worthwhile movie. I think it's just maligned it, because it costs so insanely much and people were, like, expecting huge things. Is is it is this, like, the beginning of the Johnny Depp bash, back, backlash? It is. It's been building for a little while. I think it's because once he did the fourth... Pirates of the Caribbean, people are like, oh, now he's just, we're, we're a little burned out on this character. And now, why is he also in, why is he the Mad Hatter? Yeah. And now he's but doing... Why, why is he, why is he Elijah Wood with red hair? No idea. He looks exactly the same, doesn't he? I thought it was Elijah Wood. <laughs> why did they just cast Elijah Wood? Right. Oh, because he just had a contract to fulfill with Disney. Um, Mordecai, the trailer for Mordecai looks pretty good. It might be... Oh, a, yes. A that looks fantastic. But I think like Transcendence did not help whatsoever. It cost like a hundred million dollars and made like ten. And it's just one of those concepts that probably people. I didn't see it, but it looks like a concept. I did. No, hey, is it good? Here. Transcendence isn't the worst. It just gets dull. It just gets dull. That's a big crime, actually, in my opinion. I don't care if you're good or bad. You gotta entertain me. For me, because I am a very forgiving watcher. I used to not be. I used to be one of these snooty snob guys. This is one of the reasons why I can go ahead and say, no, no, I don't like most DC movies. Or I really like elements of this movie or that movie. I can figure it out. Uh, before, I was just like, no, I'm a snob. Movie snob. No, don't like it. Why? Because, <laughs> well, Transcendence has some really great, interesting ideas about... Um, merging human with computers and it's not just a cyborg type of thing but he's got some really great ideas it's just handled in a very i think what they're trying to do is go deliberate equals sophistication we're being very deliberate in our pace we're being very slow because we want to be thoughtful like a kubrick movie then perhaps yeah but um, you don't really need to do that I can see what the director was trying to do, and I don't need it to be a Fast and the Furious movie, sci-fi version or anything. 
it had some good ideas, but but it also had and also had um, Johnny Depp doing this voice throughout the whole movie. I'm Johnny Depp. That seems silly. <laughs> and Johnny Depp speaking through his teeth. All right. And, yeah. uh, but it's not terrible. But it's far from great. So I can understand why it bombed. All gobble right. gobble. We're at number three, Thirteenth Warrior. I actually really, really like this movie. I do too. And that was another one of those movies that you heard about it. It was supposed to come out like March or whatever, and then like a year and a half, two. I actually think it got delayed by two and a half or three years. I didn't know that. John McTiernan, I know that, and then he went to prison or something. Yeah. And then his career is done. Cause, I mean, not just because of that, because he just, I think because of Rollerball. <laughs> so bad. Which I, tried, I try to like movies, man. Rollerball looked like it could have... No, wait, no. I don't like any of the actors. No no charisma between any of them. No, none. Absolutely none. And the movie's just... It just it's like one of those movies that just happens. It's just like, oh, we're, it, just, it, it exists. That's all there is to it. It just happened. People wanted to get it greenlit. It's over. That's all that... You know, that's kind of sad that so, movies exist like that. So 13 Warrior, 13th Warrior is uh, Beowulf retold. Yeah. Uh, and it's pretty great. In its inventiveness in the story, like how how you understand the poetry, would be these images in the poetry are actually completely different in real life. But in the poetry of Beowulf, where it's like, <laughs> they're fire verm, you would understand it differently now that you see the movie that it's just this big snake of flame, but it's torches and stuff. Right. So it's it's rather interesting in that sense. Um <clears throat> And Antonio Banderas, uh, it was like his one big shot at a huge movie. Um, and he's chewing up the English language, but <laughs> it's it's all right because he's playing an Arab, um, and the English language here is in place of what Scandinavian or something. Yeah, I think so. So, so yeah, he hangs out with these Viking dudes, and they end up loving him like a bro. And, and I don't, re- I don't really taking recognize- him on as. Uh, I don't really but, recognize a lot of the guys that are the Vikings, but they're all really good. Yeah, and they—they have—they're like we're talking about charisma. There is charisma here. And that's, there is that's lots what makes of a lot charisma. of this matter. If you don't have, even if they're not names, having the right actors makes you care about what happens next. And this is yeah. one of those movies where they spend—they don't like waste a lot of time. Like, oh, let's really dig into these characters. But as the action is going on, they keep adding bits and pieces of these characters. When they get back to their camp, uh, to their city. And stuff you see little moments they have with their families. It brings the gravitas towards us. We understand that there's something at stake, and the charisma, as we said about these characters, it's really good. It's also a Viking movie. When are those things wanted? Yeah, I don't. I don't know any that are successful. They're always like a cult following, and this is like the most expensive Viking movie I think ever made. And Back it's based- in the fifties. 50s. That's what, 50s. The yeah. 50s was the heyday for this type of thing. Yeah, sword and so sandal. Technicolor, yeah, the Technicolor sword and sandal or Viking movie things. That's when. 50s and, and it ended in the early 60s. Yeah. Uh, actually, Europe kept going on with them. If Michael Crichton wasn't attached to this, it would not have, I don't think it would have been made nearly as expensive. But, you know, he was really hot back then. And the book was called Eaters of the Dead, if I'm correct. And there's no way they're going to make a $150 million movie called Eaters of the Dead. But it gives you more of an idea, I think, of what the movie's about. Because it's kind of a thriller. It's an action movie. It's a Viking movie. But there is... It's a mystery. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's to... got this cool mysterious angle to it, like figuring out what the heck really how to yeah, it's tactical. It's it's a very interesting movie. So bomb as it is, turkey as it is, doesn't matter. It should be watched. It exists to be enjoyed. And the thing has a pretty strong call following. I still see it on the shelves and stores, you know, on a regular basis. It, it's a five dollar. Uh, it's usually a five dollar title too. So yeah, you pick it's... it up cheap. All right, number two. Never seen it. Mars needs bombs. <laughs> okay, Bert. No, I, I don't want to. I've seen Mars needs women, which is also terrible. <laughs> Mars needs women. But it's it... a science fiction movie from the late sixties. Starring Tommy, whatever his head is, from the Disney movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the Beach Blanket Bingo movies. Who was basically kicked out of Disney for coming out of the closet. Really? Yeah. Because he was in that movie, and that movie is pretty all about getting ladies. Yeah, well, that was after the Disney contract ended. It was around yeah. 67 or something. He was caught in a gay bar, and I guess Disney found out about it, and he kicked him out. And then he just did like five more movies, like really low-budget garbage, and then dis- disappeared, which is terrible. Yeah, so that was one of them. Mars Needs Women, which is great. The title of the movie is great because it's so ridiculous. Uh-huh. And it sounds, it's that voice that I just did is really what the guy in the trailer sounds like. Mars Needs Women. Mars you can needs, sample that. Yeah, Mars Needs Moms does not sound like an appealing title whatsoever. Not at all. It's based on a book by Berkeley Breathe. And he is oh, the guy born, who did... Bloom County. Bloom County, Yeah. But I don't care. Make a Bloom County movie. Maybe I'll care. Yeah. Maybe. I'd, I'd watch a Bill the Cat movie. Bill yes. and Opus. Ak Oop. Ak Oop. The automatopoeia of Bill the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> so that movie, didn't watch it, but I did see the, the character design stuff in the trailer, Horrible. and it's ugly. It's one of the ugliest movies I think I've seen outside of, uh, what's that one? Uh, Monsters vs. Aliens, which is also hideous design work. Oh, gross. Wait. Monsters vs. Aliens, the one with the blob? Yeah, I hated the design. And the eyeball? Yeah. The no, humans. that movie's really to- toyetic. Oh. It's good. That uh, You might just not like that kind of design, though. Yeah, but I, just, I was watching the first 15 minutes. I couldn't get into it. And the, uh, the humans are so badly designed. Okay, yes. All right. The, the aliens and the monsters are fine. The people, yes, you're right. Um. Yeah, the funny thing is Mars Needs Moms bombed so badly, it buried that company i think it was robert zemeckis's company that yes. was doing those it, yeah. it buried that company um and also that's the reason why john carter is not called john carter man of mars because of that yeah because <laughs> mars, the word mars had become poison anyway because every movie that had the word mars in it tanked. right mission to mars mars attacks uh well even even things just related to mars red planet um uh, yeah, Ghost of Mars. You know, they just all tanked. The only thing that was successful has ever been told. <laughs> Ghost of Mars. I mean, John Carpenter's Doom. Yeah, or John Carpenter's. I'm. This is it for me. I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> no, no. I really like Ghost of Mars. Oh. I like it. Yeah, Except I'll... what I don't like about Ghost of Mars is the really silly looking practical effect of the hot air balloon thing. That was dumb looking. But I like the rest of the movie, and the rest of the movie is totally Doom, the video game. I couldn't get into it. I was I was done with that one. I think the last, I, I don't think he did anything good after um, in the mouth of badness. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's chewy, silly schlock like his return to uh, Escape from L.A. Escape, which right. I've seen like sixty times, and every time I go, uh, no, no, this is ah, uh, uh, 
You know, because I love the first one so much, I just keep watching the second one. I don't know why. I the second thinking. one is a spoof of the first one. Yeah, it's uh, for some reason though. Like, it's so many of the special effects look wrong, and there's certain bits and pieces I can't stand. But there's so much like I love about it. Oh, well, we're way off track. We do this a lot, but I don't care anymore. Yeah, I used yeah. to. I used to apologize for getting like the segues, but whatever. It's just because yeah. the shows get so long sometimes. All right. Hey, hey, hey! This ain't nothing compared to uh, Dana. Then a Gould Hour, which is three hours long. No kidding. Sometimes. Uh, Keep going. Number one, we're done. It's 47 Ronin, which I And I like like. it. Yep. Totally like it. I Totally like it. This sounds... The one thing I don't like about it is the tattooed guy who barely has a line in it, and they showcase him in the trailer, and he's a skull-faced tattooed dude, and he does his real tattoos, and they're like, yeah, that's a cool moment. Put it in the trailer. And then he's like, "Uh, I'll just take you to the boss. (laughs) <laughs> that's a scene that's a scene he doesn't do anything cool yeah i i really like the movie it feels the movie's great isn't it yeah and i mean the ending had it took a lot of guts to stay with that ending i mean i i don't want to ruin it for anybody but let's just say it's not a happy ending or is it uh yeah i guess if you it's how you view it but general audience be like no that doesn't i want no <laughs> um, and i don't think he, i don't think he does any like old school keanu whoa or dumb stuff that people say Keanu is guilty of all the right. time, but he's, he's not. He's just very somber. Yeah, he's... He feel, he he seems very hurt in the movie, like emotionally, physically. Oh, and he, he is. He just if you know the, the backstory of the character, yeah, you understand when you get in, when they reveal that stuff. And that's it's another true. movie that sat around for like two and a half years. Oh, where... that had to do with effects. That they kept also... on having to shove it back into the effects mill because uh, things weren't looking right or something. Well, also the fact that the director was a complete newbie. He had never done a movie before, especially nothing this big. And I think that there was a lot of delays because he didn't know how to handle certain filming. That's a, It was just rumor. And they thought about firing him and having like someone else complete it. In fact, I'm not sure. I should look this up. But I thought Keanu Reeves came in to do some reshoots himself because he had just come off The Man of Tai Chi. Which is also great. It was, and which also barely released. Yeah, it says it's the most unsuccessful movie ever made. It lost $150 million. $150 million. That's just weird. But it look, it's a beautiful movie. Visually, I saw that in the theater. LB saw it. My wife saw that with me in the theater. We went and saw it, and she enjoyed it. I think, yeah, so. it, it has a strong connection. Uh, if you watch it, it, they don't really sell it to women. They sell it to, like, 13-year-old boys in the trailers. Sure. But you watch it, and the emotional connection between everybody is something that would really, something that women would get into. Actually, anybody who just likes good characters would get into instead of just fluff action. It's not, it's not Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's not boring. It's not dull. It has a brisk pace. It's good. It's got really interesting CG special effects and some practical. It's good. It's a good film. I will say this. It shouldn't be a flop. I watched this and Godzilla back to back, the new new Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And I will say this is going to dig me a big, big hole. I did not care what was going on in Godzilla. I I liked some of the action sequences, but at once, once, um, I hate it when I get tired and I can't remember someone's name. Star Breaking Bad. Come on. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Brian Cranston. Thank you. Brian Cranston. Once he's not really in the picture anymore, I don't care. And that's and I I went back thinking, you know what? I was more absorbed by Forty Seven Ronin than I was by Godzilla by any by any means. It was a competently made film, but I didn't care. 